Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where a guest and I talk about the games we play. My guest today is a friend of the show, one half of the List Off podcast, making his second appearance on the show, previously from the Death's Door episode, Tarnished But Not Made Endless, Ryan Yingling. Hey dude. Hey, how's it going, Dave? Thanks Good for to have you back on. on the show, man. Yeah. Like I said before, Ryan was on the Death's Door episode along with his co-host, Brian, and I recommend you go check out that episode. That was a good time. But today, we are here to talk about Elden Ring. It's finally time, Ryan. Yeah, I've been waiting a long time for this one. Thanks so much for having me on. Of all episodes for this one, uh, such a monumental game. Yeah. For sure. And Elden Ring is an open world action adventure RPG developed by From Software, published by Bandai Namco in 2022. Uh, Elevator pitch for Elden Ring. If you are listening to this and you are not sure what Elden Ring is, um, open world Dark Souls. Actually, open world Dark Souls. It's This is a short elevator. (laughs) Accurate. Accurate description for sure. The uh, spoiler policy for the episode, in case this is your first time listening to Tales from the Backlog, we go no spoilers while we go through the mechanics of the game. Um, There will be a clearly marked spoiler wall later in the episode. Check the show notes for a timestamp for where that is. So if you don't want to be spoiled, no worries. And we're going to talk, I'm going to try to keep discussion in the non-spoiler part to like Limgrave and maybe Stormvale, which is, honestly, it's like 35 hours of game. So like, <laughs> we, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, but like, we're going to get into this. This game's huge. We'll keep the spoiler, the non-spoiler part like toward the first area of the game. But before we get into Elden Ring, Ryan is the co-host of the List Off podcast, which is an awesome show. So Ryan, can you please explain to my listeners what is List Off all about? Sure, no problem. So we are a list-based podcast. We uh, talk about video games every week, and we make a list uh, that revolves around some aspect of gaming on a weekly basis. I think we just recorded our top 10 magazine covers, so things like Nintendo Power and Game Informer come up in that. That should Ooh, give you a pretty yeah. good idea of uh, of what we do. If you want to... Uh, specific episode to go check out i would recommend checking out our top five metroidvania games that we did with uh your host dave jackson here yeah that was a good time really enjoyed doing that yeah yeah definitely think you were the right guy for the job on that one <laughs> yeah list off is a really good show it's it's one of my weekly listens uh every every time an episode comes up it's one of the first few i go towards i love uh love listening to brian and ryan kind of go through the well, it depends on the episode. Sometimes it's, you know, talking nostalgia, sometimes talking, um, you know, specific stuff like, you know, top Metroidvanias or the magazine covers one is going to be super nostalgia zone, I feel like. So, yeah, you're not, you're everyone not wrong. go check that out. Who doesn't love a good list? And if you're listening to this show, you love video games. So, I mean, it's a match made in heaven. So list off podcast. Very, very good. Getting into Elden Ring. Uh, we're going to get started by giving our kind of personal histories with the game. What What's our history with From Software, and then what made us want to play Elden Ring? And the guest always goes first. So, Ryan, what's your history with From Software and Elden Ring? Um, I have a 
pretty good history with From Software. I've played a bit of their games. I, I don't think as many as you have, but I, I started playing the original Dark Souls, uh, f- fell in love with it. It was definitely an entryway into this genre. From there, I didn't play any for a while. Dark Souls 3 is the next one I played, and I don't think I ever beat it. I played uh, a good chunk of it, though. Eventually waited till Bloodborne came out, finally got my PS4. One of the first games I got was Bloodborne. At that point, it had been out for about two years. I actually put it down after about an hour. I feel like there was a long enough gap between me playing uh, other FromSoft games and that one to where the difficulty surprised me, and I wasn't quite prepared for it. So mm-hmm. I ended up going <laughs> from there to Dark Souls Remastered on the Switch and kind of getting my, my legs back. Right. Re- went back to Bloodborne, had a great time with that, loved the game. And then uh, the Demon Souls remake from 2020 was the last FromSoft game I played. I did not play Sekiro. And I absolutely love that Demon's Souls remake. Mm-hmm. It's real good. Yeah. So Elden Ring was like a clear, like, was this like a absolute day one buy for you as soon as it was released and, you know, leading up to when it was coming out? Definitely. We do lists at the beginning of every year of our top anticipated games for, for that mm-hmm. next year. I believe it was close to my number one, if not my number one in 2020, and it was absolutely my number one in 2022. Uh, We even do prediction episodes, and one of my predictions in 2021 was that we would get Elden Ring in the first half of 2021. So I was feeling bold. I thought I could maybe will it into existence, (laughs) you know, but I, I I was unable to will it into existence, but I'm glad we eventually got the title. Yeah, for sure. So for me, um, I'm same as you, I started out with Dark Souls 1 uh, back in 2013 or so, something like that. And uh, yeah, I went a long time without playing another FromSoft game as well, uh, because when I started Dark Souls 2, back when it like first released, I bought it the day it came out, and I hated it. Uh, something about it, will, which, you know, Dark Souls 2 is polarizing, to say the least, without getting into a talk about Dark Souls 2. And then I got back into it with Bloodborne, and uh, actually Dark Souls 3 uh, brought me back into uh, FromSoft. So people who listen to the show know that FromSoftware is probably my favorite developer. I am pretty much like, I would put pretty much all of their modern games in a top 25, top 30 video games list for me. They just, they got the secret sauce as far as uh, my gaming habits go. So. If this is your first episode of Tales from the Backlog that you're listening to, I have episodes about Bloodborne, Dark Souls, Dark Souls 3, and Kingsfield 4 uh, in the backlog of this show. So if you're listening for the first time, you want to hear more from Soft Talk, those episodes are already published, and there will be episodes in the future about Demon's Souls and Dark Souls 2 and uh, Sekiro. Someday. So all that to say... I'm not exaggerating when I say that Elden Ring was the most I've been excited about a game since probably Pokemon Gold and Silver, like when I was a kid, uh, or maybe Skyrim. I, w- I was real excited about Skyrim when it first dropped. Other than those two, this is probably the most I've ever been excited about a game. And to kind of transition into some opening thoughts here, 
this is uh this is legit one of the best games I've ever played. Like all those expectations in my opinion were paid off and then some. Like there are things we'll get into that are you know not perfect about the game. This is a huge huge game with so many things happening. There's bound to be things that aren't perfect, but as a whole completed product, man, this game fucking rules. Like <laughs> we'll get into that explanation later. What do you think, Ryan? Well, without giving away my final thoughts, uh, I 100% think it was worth the wait. Uh, for all the anticipation I had, the, the comparison I make, Skyrim is definitely up there for me. It's another one of those games that I was anticipating probably just about this much. Uh, Breath of the Wild is another one that comes to mind. Once I saw actual gameplay from that, it was kind of like that shoe-in day one, can't wait for it to come out, watch every video I can that is released mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's a really good game. Uh, lived up to the expectations, lived up to the hype. I will save a lot for my final thoughts, I think, on this, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right on. People listening, if you're curious about how long our playthroughs took, um, my playthrough took 95 hours, and I beat every major boss. Like, I actually went and looked at a tier list of all the... The major bosses. There's a bunch of minor bosses and stuff like that. I beat all the major ones, and uh, I'm fairly happy with how completionist I was. Like, there's nothing that I look back on and say, like, yeah, I totally just ignored that. Like, I did basically everything I found. Um, I didn't, like, go through a guide, like, check, you know, checkpoint by checkpoint, making sure that I saw everything, but Everything I found, I've explored, and I was happy with that. That took me 95 hours. So, Ryan, how about you? Yeah, my playtime was 79 hours. I beat almost every major boss. I'm sure that uh-huh. will come up later. <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. I, I consider my run to be fairly thorough, even at that 79-hour mark. There's a big gap between our playtimes and people have exponentially more than ours. But I oh, think... Yeah. I did a fair amount of exploration and I saw pretty much everything I came across in the world that, you know, begged for ex- further exploration. I went ahead and, and di- dove into it. So I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, right on. And since this game took me so long and like this was about a month of my gaming time, basically, I don't, I don't think I played very many other games while I was playing Elden Ring. It was like mainline just for about a month straight. So on the show, this is the first episode of what is going to be Elden Ring Month on Tales from the Backlog. And this is the first time I'm doing this on the show where we have one month dedicated to one game. So Ryan and I are doing the regular Tales from the Backlog episode today. Later this month, there will be special topic episodes. Uh, One of them will be about open world games and through the lens of Elden Ring and From Software. Another will be about why is Elden Ring the From Software game that's connecting with more people, people who have not been able to connect with the games before because they found them too hard or too unforgiving or something like that. And finally, in Tales from the Backlog fashion, we will have a boss tier list episode coming at the end of the month. So if you are into Elden Ring, we have a good month of shows coming up for you. If you haven't played Elden Ring, some of those may be interesting to you, talking about how does it handle the open world and 
why is this the most uh, approachable game for people who haven't been able to get on with Dark Souls or Bloodborne or Sekiro before? So that's coming up this month on the show, and I look forward to doing those. I look forward to everyone hearing those. For now, Ryan and I are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to get into Elden Ring. So I want to get the conversation started with just like first impressions when you first started playing Elden Ring. Like this is one of those games where I just remember some of the very clear memories and thoughts I had from the, like the first couple hours of playing the game. So Ryan, I assume that you have some things that you remember like this too. So you have anything you want to share there? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was so elated to have this game on my system and the controller in my hands. You know, you boot it up and you get you start out in the world and the first starting class I I chose was the underwear boy <laughs> with the big club and yeah. I just sat there for a minute like I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I was finally playing this game. It was years and years of waiting to be there and I explored just even that first starting area where the you meet that very, very first boss, um, it was just, there's nothing there. But I spent so much time exploring it, thinking there would be something there. I didn't know what, what to do, how to approach this. I didn't know what their take would be on the open world, when that would come into play. Uh, but man, I, I really remember just being floored by it. Uh, like you said, it was that feeling that carried on through about a month, month and a half of me just playing this game, not picking up another game, not being distracted in any way from, from the goal of, of beating Elden Ring. I had that same thing where as soon as I started going through it, my main thought that I had was like, holy shit, it's actually here. Like I've been waiting for this for years. And this is the first From Software game that I played right on release I th like I said, I think I played Dark Souls 2 like really close to release, if not like when it first came out. This is the first one, I'll rephrase, this is the first one I played with all like the community together. Mm -hmm. And the first one I played right on release where I had a bunch of people like you, Ryan, where like we would be just texting back and forth all the time about like shit we found and like crazy stuff that happened. And so like mm -hmm. that was one of my first things was just like, um, I can't believe it's actually released. Like I'm actually playing this. And so you go through that thing, uh, you find the tutorial, which is a, a very funny, like very from software thing. They, they can't make you go into the tutorial. They have this ghost that says, jump down this pit, uh, which right. some people were like, I'm not jumping down a pit. Yeah. And then they missed the tutorial. But, um, that was, a. Uh, just going through the tutorial and being like, okay, this game feels great. Like this feels really good to play. And then when you do get into the open world and you see it open up in front of you. And then I had another like, wow, this actually is an open world. Cause I was on media blackout for Elden Ring. I blocked, I muted all the things on Twitter. I didn't watch any videos. I wanted to be totally unspoiled going into it. So when it did open up into that open world, I was like, 
okay, they were not lying. This is actually an open world. Mm-hmm. And then I was like a little kid, like with this excitement to go out and explore. And then I found that tree sentinel and got smashed into the ground. And I was like, okay, it's game on. So I'm curious, do you have a time frame as to when you went on media blackout? It was, it was after the first trailer. Okay. They showed a trailer of like uh, millennia fighting Radon or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm cutting it all off. I don't want to wow. know. It was it was especially around the time when they did the network test and all those YouTubers started putting out videos. I was like, okay, I'm not watching any of these. I'm blocking everything on Twitter. I don't I want to see this for myself. I did a similar thing about the same time. It was when those first network test previews were coming out and it was I saw some and it was enough for me. I was like, nope, I want to experience this for myself. I did make mm-hmm. my way when that ghost was like, "Hey buddy, jump in this pit." Absolutely. Like, I'm all for it because you brought up guides earlier, and I typically go through from soft games with a guide, but my whole approach to this one was completely different. I I just wanted to experience it, and I think part of it was being that day one and having so many other people in the same boat and just being able to truly go explore and experience the game without any guide telling you what to do or where to go. And bouncing those conversations off of friends, it really did make it a special, special game. 100%. And I play with guides in FromSoft games too. Uh, let's Again, let's normalize playing with guides. Um, this game, I kind of laid back on it a little bit until maybe about 30, 40 hours into the game. Then I started to have questions. And I'm not the type of person who, like, if I have a bunch of questions, I'm just going to leave them unanswered. So I did start turning toward guides, not so much like, you know, here's how to beat this boss or here's, you know, how to go through this level. It was more like, you know, okay, I'm at this point, which level should I go to? I have like six that I can go to. Which mm-hmm. one should I go to? Or like, you know, I need a a plus eight smithing stone. Is there one near me and I just missed it? You know, I started to look up stuff like that. So... But again, I play a bunch of games with guides. I feel no shame about it. Neither should you, listener or Ryan. Everybody, do it. I have no do it. shame. Whatever's going to let you have fun. Yeah, do and, it. And uh, this is a good point uh, before we get into the game to also point out that I played this game with a lot of of those options that like, or a lot of those game mechanics that make the game easier for you. And we're going to get into those. But I want to get out in front of. Uh, the gatekeepers who have come back out since the release of a new From Software game, it's it's like the locusts, the gatekeepers come out. And uh, just want to say with no you know confusion at all, I want everyone to know that I think you should do whatever it takes to let you beat the game. Uh, use the Ash Summons, use you know summoning, summon other people, do what you got to do to beat the game. If someone tells you you're not playing the game the right way, they are sad on the inside. Just ignore them. I know this comes up often on your show, so I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I just wholeheartedly back everything you're saying. Gatekeeping is ridiculous. I'm sure there'll be people who gatekeep me because I didn't play every FromSoft game. <laughs> Without mincing words, anyone who's trying to tell you that you're not playing the game the right way, they can go fuck themselves. That is the official Tales from the Backlog policy on gatekeepers. So uh, this is a good transition to get into some of those new things because this is 
this is the from software game that I see the most people connecting with and enjoying. And like just so many of my friends and people I see around who are like, man, Dark Souls 3 was too hard. Bloodborne was too hard, but they beat Elden Ring. So we're going to talk about kind of these options that are allowing so many people to uh, get into this. And so I mentioned the Ash Summons before, and that's probably the biggest one, I think, is that they, one of the things about these games that was so helpful before, like Dark Souls and Bloodborne and stuff like that, is that you could summon other players into your game to help you fight a boss and stuff like that. But in this game, they give you an item, so you don't even need to be connected to the internet to do this. You can summon a, well, there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of them, but you can summon these characters in as NPCs to fight alongside you. And what makes this easiest? What makes this easier is when you summon a human player into your game to fight alongside you to fight a boss. The boss gets an HP boost uh, because they're fighting two human players. But with these, they're called Ash Spirits. The boss doesn't get that HP boost anymore. And so it's a two-on-one fight, but the boss has the HP as if it were just fighting you alone. This is so helpful. It's always been helpful to have summons to help, like, space out aggro, uh, take aggro away from you so you can, like, run up behind a boss and hit him like that. So I used these all the time. Like, most bosses I would fight once or twice by myself just to like see it, learn some of the moves. And then if I didn't beat them within a couple of tries, I started breaking out my Ash Summons. And because I did this, there was only one boss in the game that took me more than 10 tries. Ryan, you know who I'm talking about. I know exactly who you're talking about. (laughs) Everything else? uh, Oh, except for the last boss too. The final boss took me a long time. But uh, we'll talk about that in the spoiler section. So two bosses took me more than 10 tries. Everything else was very, very manageable. And I never fell into that pit of frustration that comes when you're fighting a boss and you're like, man, this is attempt 40. And I'm just, I'm not really having fun anymore. I just want to beat this. I never got to that. And the Ash Summons, I think, were a big part of that. Yeah, I feel like there were a few bosses that took me probably somewhere around 20 to 25 tries. But I never felt frustrated. I will also say that because of things like the Ash Summons and changes to combat, there were probably more bosses in Elden Ring that I one-tried than any other from Soft Game. Oh, yeah. Which w- was surprising. I didn't expect to go into a boss arena and one-try so many of them, but it happened. And it will happen during your playthrough. Uh, definitely the things like the Ash Summons were a huge step in the right direction for how approachable this game is. But even that has that little bit of from softness where they make it extremely obtuse to learn how to use them. Uh, So I'm I'm saying this coming from my co-host Brian is currently playing through Elden Ring and Mm -hmm. he's not as well versed in from soft games. So something like finding certain items to have access to certain things, just it's not always apparent. You're not going to find anything in-game that will tell you, hey, you need this thing to to use Ash Summons. So oh yeah, figuring all that out was a little more difficult for him, not having that familiarity and not using a guide. But those guides are there to help you figure these things out if you choose to. And I, I would recommend using them. I, I did the I did recommend he did the he use them. And I think he did end up figuring it all out. But um 
even though Ash summons make the game easier, they can't make it easy for you to just figure out how to use Ash summons. And that's a very right. like from soft mentality. Yeah, they're they're pretty missable. It's kind of kind of easy to miss getting the item to use them in the first place because you have to go to a place that you've been before and you didn't you would have no indication that you need to go back there at a certain time of day even and um and get that item. So it's again from software <laughs> two steps forward, one step back as far as making the game super approachable, but once you do get those it does make the game uh, much uh, easier, the bosses especially. You can only use the Ash Summons in certain places, but I found that, like, with the exception of one special, like, type of encounter throughout the game, the Ever Jails, mm. anytime you would want to have another, like, player helping you fight something, they'll let you use the Ash Summons. Like, with, like... A couple exceptions throughout the entire game, like the entire 100 hour game. Yeah. Yeah, it was there when you needed it for sure. Mm hmm. Another thing that makes this game a little bit easier, and this is a combat, these are a couple of combat changes, are um, enemies in Elden Ring, every enemy has a posture bar similar to Sekiro. And when you break that posture bar, when you deplete it by hitting them uh, with stuff, They'll have their posture broken. You can run up and get a kind of a critical attack on them. In Sekiro, that bar was visible. In Elden Ring, that bar is uh, not visible. Invisible. Not shown. Hidden. But when it breaks, and you, you'll kind of get a feel for the weapon you're using, the weapon arts you're using, like when that might happen. When it breaks, you can run up and get a critical attack. Every enemy has this. Uh, and it makes it easier because... You don't have to execute perfectly all the time. You get a couple shots of bonus damage throughout a boss fight. Or regular enemies, uh, maybe you need to hit them once or twice. They'll have their posture broken. Go get that critical instead of needing to hit them four or five times. Uh, stuff like that. This makes this easier, although like I wish it were visible like in Sekiro. It, it was really nice in Sekiro to be able to see it. I'm not sure why it's invisible here. I kind of wish it was uh, was shown, but it is really helpful. They do a good job, I think, with the sound effect, too. It's very clear. Yeah. The sound is very clear when you do that posture break. Uh, you, you'll recognize it immediately, and then you'll hear it for, for the rest of the game when you, when you do break posture. Um, I was mm -hmm. a caster for my entire playthrough, and it was great that the spells broke posture. Yeah. That was really, really cool. In previous games, the only way to get any kind of bonus damage like this, except for Bloodborne, this is a key mechanic in Bloodborne, using the gun to do this. But in a Dark Souls game, the only way to do this was to like hit an enemy really hard with a big weapon or backstab them, uh, and you couldn't really do it as a caster. So yeah, it's really awesome that your spells can do this mm -hmm. uh, in Elden Ring. Another thing, uh, as far as combat goes, is weapon arts are back from Dark Souls 3, where every single weapon has um, a kind of special move you use by using uh, L2. And it uses your magic, and so you kind of have to kind of build, if you're going to use weapon arts a ton, you have to give yourself some magic uh, to use. But the difference is, a couple differences. Number one, in Dark Souls 3, they were not very good. In an Elden Ring, they're very good. Like, there are several that 
are were too good. They had to go and nerf them, and a lot of them are still really, really good. But the the best part about this is they're customizable, and you can put any weapon art on almost any weapon that you want. So this will kind of change the way the weapon works a little bit, stat scaling and stuff like that. But even with like a little a few caveats, this gives you great like damage or effects on your weapons and also like insane customization for your weapons, which makes the game easier. So I have a question. Did you end up using standard weapons or special weapons for your playthrough? Because special weapons, the difference for, if you, for the listeners is that the special weapons, you cannot modify their weapon art. Right. But any standard weapon, you can switch out the, the weapon art. Right. I had, uh, I rolled with two katanas. One of them was a special weapon. One of them was not. So kind of depending on what like the situation was, I would switch uh, because you're right. Having the weapon arts customizable on the like standard katana, the Uchi katana was uh, really useful in kind of like preparing for a specific kind of encounter if I knew what I was going up against. And uh, but I used the Moonveil katana, which has a really awesome weapon art, and that was like. Part of my combat strategy was utilizing this weapon art, and in Dark Souls 3, that's not something that anyone would say. I've never right, heard anyone right. say in Dark Souls 3, like, my weapon art carried me through the game, and you can absolutely say that in Elden Ring. I agree. Yeah, I always wanted to try standard weapons to have that ability to switch out the weapon art, but um, I ended up going with special weapons for most of my playthrough. I, I didn't regret it. The weapon art no. for the weapon I was using was really powerful. That's another thing in Elden Ring like that's different from a lot of the other games is that the special weapons are, number one, insanely good, and number two, they're really easy to upgrade. You get so many upgrade materials for the special weapons, which is one of the problems in the older FromSoft games, is you're like, I got this sweet weapon from a boss but I don't have enough of the resources to upgrade it. And the resources to upgrade them were super rare in the older games. And in Elden Ring, you get more resources to upgrade special weapons than regular ones. So they, they want you to play around with these cool toys. Mm -hmm. On the uh, customization front, another thing that's going to help you in Elden Ring is you have like so many ways to customize what's going on. You have your weapon arts, um, they make it really easy to create a weapon that will fit with your build uh, by using those weapon arts to customize because that affects like, is this sword, is this katana going to scale with magic or is it going to scale with strength or dexterity or something like that? Very easy to find a weapon and customize it for your build. You also have this thing called the Flask of Wondrous Physic in Elden Ring. This is brand new. It's another like consumable thing. You find the mixers for it throughout the world and you can customize the effects of it. So I was running a character that used a lot of magic sometimes. So, and I also did a lot of melee fighting. So, for example, I mixed up these two things in there. One of them gives you uh, basically free magic for 10 seconds, and the other one gives you just increase stamina regen for a couple minutes. 
You can only drink from this flask one time per, you know, per rest at a bonfire point of grace, not a bonfire. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying bon- I'm going to keep saying bonfire throughout the show though. I don't understand how you could be confused at all. <laughs> it's not like they're exactly the same thing under a different name. Yeah. So that was what I had in my flask. Uh, there's a there's a really famous spell, kind of like a meme spell that uses a ton of magic, but it's super powerful. But if you drink that flask that gives you free magic for ten seconds, you don't have to worry about it. So, do you uh, do you remember what you had in your flask most of the time? Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of customization available. I really like how they mixed in how you get the uh, different ingredients. I felt mm-hmm. like compelled to do those things to get more and more ingredients just to see what was possible with my wondrous physic i personally was a faith-based build so i did faith spells are more potent and uh, i almost always did restore hp over time Mm -hmm. because there's also a talisman which we'll get into that has restore hp over time so i could really rest at a side of grace and they do a thing where you can uh dictate what your flask charges go to as far as refilling HP or MP. Right. And I thought that was really cool. So I could really focus on having a lot of my flasks dedicated to MP restoration and just do my wondrous physics, have this talisman on, and I really wouldn't have to worry about things like HP when I was in a boss fight or in a bigger encounter because it was doing the work for me. I didn't have to actively heal, which really took a huge weight off my back. Yeah, that uh, splitting your your uh, your Estus flask in Dark Souls terms, your uh, flask of crimson tears or whatever yeah. in uh, in Elden Ring, that was uh, in Dark Souls three also. And so returning here, it's it's you know, I never like taking flasks away from restoring health, but if you're able to use that wondrous physic flask to restore health, then it's not a big deal. You, uh, you've found a way to kind of game the system, and Elden Ring gives you so many ways where you feel like you're gaming the system. And it's, it's just not something that, like, if you played Sekiro, which was their last game, this is like, all of this is like the opposite of Sekiro. Sekiro is very much like, you have to play this game exactly the way that we want you to. This game has one way to be played. And Elden Ring has thousands of ways to be played. And it's just like, th- there's just so much you can do to customize and make the game easier for yourself. FromSoft definitely made an effort, you know, going back to gatekeeping. These things are in the game. And FromSoft yeah. was very careful about what they put in here. And they wanted this to be approachable. And having the systems in place to where you could game the system definitely is saying hey guys like come play this game we want you to be able to enjoy it we want you to be able to beat it figure it out have fun enjoy the world we created yeah miyazaki said in all the press release like stuff leading up to the game he said this is going to be the the FromSoft game that most people are able to beat like more people are going to beat elden ring than any other FromSoft game and everyone kind of wondered what does he mean by this because they famously are not putting easy modes uh, in their games. And what he meant was there are all of these things you can use to mitigate the difficulty uh, inside the game. It's interesting that you bring that up. I saw an interesting fact today that there is already a higher platinum percentage for Elden Ring than any other FromSoft game. Yeah, it, it's crazy. After when we're recording this, 
two months after it released, already more people have gotten the Platinum Trophy. So, big success. And, like, we still have a lot of things on this list of uh, things I wrote down that make the game easier. Using a shield is much better in Elden Ring than it has ever been in any Dark Souls game before because they give you this new move called a shield counter where uh, you block an attack and then press the right uh, attack button directly afterwards and your character will do this special counter move, which we talked about the posture meter. The shield counter does a ton of posture damage and it does a lot of regular damage too. And it makes, you know, a sword and board type character really, really powerful. And I, I, so I used the, uh, the katanas, but I also used a shield most of the game. And so I did so many shield counters and it's great. It makes using a shield more fun. I didn't use a shield the entire game. <laughs> Attaboy. Yeah. So there you go. I, I was, a, I was a dodgy, dodgy boy. Yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I used a shield for, Pretty much everything except for, uh, yeah, one boss where using a shield is a bad idea. So, um, one thing that I've heard so many people complain about in Dark Souls, uh, especially as like in the last few months, uh, a couple of friends have gone back and started to play the original Dark Souls for the first time. And one thing everyone complains about is the boss runs, uh, where your checkpoint will be really far away from the boss room. And so every time you die against a boss, you got to make that run back to the boss arena. And one of the best things about Elden Ring that is kind of quietly there, and it may, may take you a little time to realize, is that there are very few boss runs. There is always a point of grace, like really close to the boss arena, or there's these new things called Stakes of Merica where if you die close to one of those stakes, it will revive you right there at that stake. You have a choice. You can revive at the stake or back at the point of grace. But the point is, boss runs are gone, and I don't miss them at all. Don't I, I was like scratching my head, because pe- people now think of me as like the, the Dark Souls guy, with, especially within our little podcast community here. And they'd be like, man, what's up with the boss runs? Like, like, what am I missing here? I'm like, you're not missing anything. They suck. I don't know why they're there. So I'm glad they're gone. Yeah, I agree. I actually found myself approaching, if, say there was a a difficult run to a boss and all that was outside of the boss arena is a stake of America. America. I found myself <laughs> saying, like, you know, say I used a lot of crimson tears on the way down to that boss or whatever. I was just oh hey all right like here's the stake of, of murica i'm just gonna go in here and die and i'll revive with full crimson tears and and mm-hmm. be ready to go yeah it, it really takes away the sting of dying against a boss because you know you'll be right back in that boss room in 10 seconds and you don't have to go through these man like when i do go back and play demon souls or when I do go back and play Dark Souls 2, there are some horrendous boss runs in those games. And that's going to be one of the main things that like sticks out to me as like, they fixed this in Elden Ring. It took them a decade to fix it, but I'm glad they finally did. Yeah, I'm definitely glad they fixed it too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Another thing uh, that makes this easier, we're almost down at the end of the list, but like, you have a horse in Elden Ring, and when you're out in the open world, there's there are 
big packs of enemies out in the open world that would be hard to fight on foot. There are roaming bosses out in the open world. And the horse combat, because you can fight when you're on horseback, it, it took me like, I don't know, maybe five hours to like really get the hang of it. But I almost never died against things when I was fighting on horseback because you're so fast. Uh, you can kind of do these little like guerrilla attacks, like jump in, hit, jump, like sprint away. It It's just another thing like, you know, there could have been so many super hard things out in the open world and you can't ride your horse everywhere, everywhere. But like, this is just another thing. It just kind of mitigates some of the difficulty when they're like, yeah, fight this thing on your horse. It makes it easier. Yeah, you would definitely have messages from other players too, leading into those boss fights or whatever, those encounters where a horse would come in handy. There'd always be that message out there like, try horseback battle. <laughs> try horse, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and is Torrent a horse? I don't know. I don't know what Torrent is, but man, it is the best mount in game, I think, in any game it's I've really played. It's real good. It controls so well. Turns on a dime. Like, ugh. Like, just taking all of From Software's history, I did not expect Torrent. Uh, to control like that mm -hmm. torrent controls with like extreme precision and precision has never been from softwares especially when it comes to like running and platforming precision has never been their best thing definitely so this brings to mind some they really stepped their game up when it comes to precision in elden ring hitboxes were always yeah. a problem in other souls games and they are just not an issue here to the point where I wanted to bring this up anyway, the uh, ability to jump and how that comes in handy for combat too. Mm -hmm. You could land more powerful shots by landing jumping strikes, but also you could jump over attacks and you're not going to get lousy hitboxes affecting you in combat. Like if you roll, you have your iframes. If you jump, you have iframes. And if you jump over a ground attack, it doesn't affect you in any way. They really got the hitboxes under control in this. In every other FromSoft game, I have boss i have memories of bosses where i think about them and i'm like that one attack has mm -hmm. such bullshit hitboxes and in elden ring i can't really think of any right now uh, they really they really got that down and yeah just like in in sekiro the way that you avoid some attacks is by jumping not dodging and in elden ring i played this for 95 hours and i never trained myself out of dodging i never was able to be like jump jump avoid it by jumping but they do have some attacks where it's like, you could dodge away, but if if actually if you just jump, you'll avoid the attack and then you'll be right in front of the boss ready to hit them uh, while they recover. Good luck to everyone like retraining your muscle memory if, if you're like me, but it is there and it's a, it's a way that they plan for you to avoid some attacks. I couldn't get away from dodging either, but <laughs> I did find myself using jump attacks a lot in the game because it was a good way to close that distance it is and it's a good opening move in most fights especially against like npc invaders mm -hmm. jump attacks were oh, super yeah. useful and jump attacks do a bunch of posture damage too so you like just to to sum all of this up you go into a fight with so many more options to like customize and tailor the way you fight a specific enemy all of these together makes elden ring like if you're using these things i have no doubt in my mind this is the easiest from software game 
because you have so many ways to mitigate all of these challenges. There are some things in the game that they've made that are the hardest things in any From Software game, I think. But a lot of those things are either optional or you have the option of using your spirit summons, using jump attacks, guard counters, all of these things to help you like make it easier for yourself. I mean, even the prep, you know, how many times did you walk into a boss arena, drink your wondrous physics, walk through the fog, summon your ash summon, and like, boom, you just know you're ready to go at that point. Yeah, I I definitely had an order of operations going Mm -hmm. through the boss fog sometimes, or most of the time, yeah. Uh, And again, there are some places where you can't use ash summons, and they're like, this will be a 1v1 fight, and you have to learn it and beat it, and those can be really hard. I, I mean, I still enjoyed most of those things, but for the most part, from software is saying like we are giving you like 25 tools use them make this game easier for yourself and if you set some like self-imposed limits like i know some people who like they beat the game the way you and i are describing ryan now they're going back for a second playthrough and saying like no ash summons uh using just a big you know great club or something like that and the game is very, very hard if you do it that way. But if that's like a, a self-imposed challenge mode. So like people are having fun doing that now. I saw, um, oh, I saw Lobos Jr., who's like the really, really famous uh, Souls streamer, uh, doing a self-imposed challenge run to beat the game with only throwing items uh, now, which is, <laughs> which is insane. That is insane. Lobos is off in a, in a corner by himself. The rest of us, I highly recommend using all of these tools uh, to make the game easier for yourself, less frustrating, more enjoyable. I approve of pretty much all of these. Yeah, absolutely. And if you are part of the Get Good squad, then don't use them. Like, that's an option. Yeah. Like like you said, I'm telling you, you have all these options to use. And if you want to 1v1 solo all the bosses, you can do that too. It's, uh, It's all there for you to make this game what you want it to be. One other thing I just want to shout out that makes the game also a little bit less frustrating compared to Dark Souls especially is that PvP is a lot easier to avoid. Uh, And I'm on record as saying that I hate PvP in most games, but especially in Souls games. uh, I said in the Dark Souls 3 episode, Adam and I actually agreed on this, that uh, when I get invaded in a Dark Souls game, I don't fight anymore. I just, I kind of, you know, do a little cat and mouse game with the invader, and then I jump off a cliff. So I make sure I wasted their time. Uh, Because these games are very, like, this is going to sound overdramatic, but these are, like, very sacred solo experiences for me. Like, I I don't want people to come into my game and mess with me. I want to, like, take my time and enjoy, like, doing things at my pace. I don't like being invaded. And in Elden Ring, The only way you can be invaded is if you use an item that says, please invade me, or if you're uh, co-oping with a human person, that opens you up to invasions too. And so it's like kind of opt-in. Like for me, because I'm not co-oping with other people very often, it's totally opt-in for me. And I really enjoyed just take this part of the game that I hate, and it was not a part of my experience in Elden Ring at all. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it does this thing, though, where you get invaded 
fairly regularly by NPCs, and that surprised me the first time because I was like, wait, why has somebody invaded me? I didn't open myself up to invaders, and then it hit mm-hmm. me that this is, in fact, not a real human being invading me. Yeah, they've been doing that with increasing frequency throughout the Dark Souls series. I feel like it happens in Dark Souls 3 pretty often. So mm-hmm. it's it's definitely there in Elden Ring a lot. And I don't mind those because the CPUs are, they're computers. They're, they're not that, easy. like, <laughs> some of them are hard, but, like, you know, none of them took me more than a few tries to beat. Whereas, like, a human invader, just, just dude, just fucking, like, not to go on this whole rant again, but, like, human invaders in Dark Souls games, like, they go through these games, they have their entire build geared toward PvP, mm-hmm. they do PvP all day long, like, and so, like, I stand no chance against most of them. Oh, and yeah. so it's not fun. It's they have, like, annoying. Huge cannons. There's the whole Ninja Turtles meta where they just, like, roll into you. There's a lot going on in Elden Ring PvP that I have no part of. Yeah. And I've seen, like, I enjoy watching videos of PvP, but mm-hmm. I don't want it to happen in my game. So the fact that it's gone, or, like, opt-in is cool. It's not totally opt-in, though, uh, because... The people who need the most help, the people who are co-oping through the game, they're going to get invaded a bunch. But then the other side of that coin is that every invasion is 1v2. Uh, So the invader is at a disadvantage. But it does make me think like the people who feel like the only way to get through the game is to co-op with another person, which I support. Again, play the game however you want to play. That opens you up to invaders, which, again, most of the invaders that I've seen throughout my time playing these games are all just PvP experts who do it all the time, and it's just not very fun. So, anyway, you are mostly protected from PvP, unless you're co-oping, and I think that's a good thing. Elden Ring makes some other changes to the established kind of Dark Souls formula, FromSoft formula. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time explaining how a FromSoftware game works on this show because I've already explained it in a couple other episodes. Go back and listen to the Dark Souls episode if you want the full uh, thing on how FromSoftware games work. But there's some big changes to the formula here. Number one is the open world, which we we talked about a little bit before. Like our first impressions was like, oh, this is an open world, capital O, capital W, open world. Like this is like, and I'm going to make the Breath of the Wild comparison here, but not for the reason you think. Like, remember when you played Breath of the Wild and you finished the Great Plateau and you thought that was the whole game map? And then you saw what the game map actually was, and you were like, what the fuck? Like, this is huge. That happened to me like four times in Elden Ring. 
I, I would equate it to like leaving the sewers, right? That wow, like look at this mm-hmm. moment. And absolutely, it did that minimum of four times for me, probably more like six or seven. Because <laughs> when you enter new environments, it's always a wow moment. I feel like they are all so different and so unique and mysterious looking that I felt like every single time I entered a new environment in this game, I would just stand there for a good 10 to 15 seconds and look around and look at the landscapes. And I would almost always try to seek out those telescopes that they have. Oh, yeah. uh, Where you could get like an aerial view of the entire thing. And uh, I I enjoyed that a lot. Interesting. I really didn't mess with those telescopes much. Um, Number one, I was worried about something coming up and like backstabbing me when I was looking at a telescope. Because that would be a FromSoft (laughs) thing to do, right? You're having a good time looking at a telescope and then Patches comes out from behind you and stabs you or something. But yeah, there's that would be one way to like kind of appreciate how the map is like use those telescopes. You get a bird's eye view. You can kind of like scan around and take note of points of interest and stuff like that for sure. One of the main things I noticed going out into the open world too, is that this similar to breath of the wild, I guess like another comparison just for people who've played that, but maybe haven't played Elden ring, like breath of the wild's, map and like topography was interesting there's a bunch of it's not just like this flat place or like this you know place with um you know a bunch of stuff that looks the same like it definitely looks like it's handcrafted throughout and it gives you a bunch of points of interest to see and really really engages that part of me that sees something and is like i wonder what that is i'm going to go check that out like hundreds of times throughout the game uh, you get map markers you can place that put like a a pillar of light and you can follow it to your your destination. And so you can either look at the map, which is not perfect, by the way. It's a it's kind of it's one of those maps that's like someone made this map a long time ago and it's not it's like 90% accurate now. It's not perfect. Uh, you can kind of pinpoint stuff to look at or just look out at the horizon. You'll see a bunch of stuff out there that's like that looks really, really cool. And you're like, well, I have to go see what that is. And like hundreds of times throughout the game, that happened to me. You see that mountain, you can go to it, right? Yeah. (laughs) But like one of the key things here is not only can you go to that mountain, there's going to be something cool or weird there. It's going to be worth your time to go to that mountain. And that's like one of Elden Ring's biggest strengths is that like all of that exploring is going to be worth it. Like the exploring is good. from software has always been incredible at making your your exploration efforts worth it, giving you an item or a weird boss fight or a weird NPC bunch of treasure. Like there's always stuff worth your time, and they man, it's like exponentially multiplied that in this game with the open world. I'm glad you brought up the map because I love the map in Elden Ring. I loved it from the first time I saw it. I mm-hmm. knew it was going to be something that just drew me in. I'm a big fan of maps. <laughs> um, I love it's almost like cartography with those landmarks already marked. It's not icons. It it makes me think about games like Red Dead Redemption Two or Red Dead Redemption One, where you're just looking at a piece of canvas with almost little to no detail, and here's a city with a dot. You know, here's a city marked with a dot, or here's a point of interest marked with a different icon. 
And you don't get that. The only thing that is marked on your map are sites of grace uh, as you find them, I mm -hmm. believe, right? As you find them, yeah. Everything else is just open up the map, check it out. Like you said, see if there's anything that strikes your eye. And I can guarantee you there is something there. And Dave, you brought up the best part. There's a reward there that is worth going there for, always. Which is just, it's really cool that it doesn't have to be a special weapon. It doesn't have to be anything. It could just be the means to upgrade those things. But it is almost always worth your time to explore anything that looks interesting in the world. And one of the best things about from games is like, so like, let's say you find a weapon and it, it doesn't fit your build. So you're not going to use that weapon. They also include story in all of the items you pick up if you read the item descriptions. So you're getting something that's making that worth your time, especially if you like if you go really out of your way to go to a weird place on the map, you'll probably find an item there. And that item will more often than not have some story related to the place where you are. Or like if you find a dead body in some weird place, the item that dead body is carrying is going to have an item description about who that person was and may give you a little mini story about how they ended up there or something like that. So that's something that from software like in Dark Souls 1 and in Demon Souls was like really excellent about. They started to get less excellent in Dark Souls 3 about that. But in Elden Ring, I feel like it's a little bit, it's like back to, you know, thoughtful placement of those items too. So like when you explore, you're getting so many rewards at once. And that compels me to fully explore these big areas. Yeah, absolutely. There are a couple of changes that they made. This is a big undertaking, I think, to take a from software game and make it open world. And again, there's going to be a full episode and discussion on this later in the month, but uh, we can chat about some of the ways that they kind of altered their formula to make it open world. Cause one of the things about dark souls or bloodborne was you had these carefully placed checkpoints, especially in bloodborne, dark souls, one demon souls, and like half of dark souls three kind of was you have these, specifically placed checkpoints and then you have your estus flasks and it's it's they're placed in a way where it's like you have enough estus flasks to get you from one checkpoint to the next and you constantly were running up against like you know i think i should find a bonfire soon but i'm out of estus and you have these you know kind of desperation moments trying to get to the next bonfire open world would not really allow them to do this because you can go wherever you want. So the ways that they mitigate this is a couple of things which I think are really, really good ideas. Number one, there's more checkpoints, of course, uh, both for helping you refresh as you explore, but also for fast travel to kind of go to specific places of the map quickly. The main thing, though, is when you defeat a group of enemies out in the open world, you get one flask uh, recharge. Mm -hmm. which super helpful for a couple reasons. Um, number one, it lets you know that you killed everything. When you get that recharge, you're like, okay, I'm done. I can, I can explore now. I don't need to worry about a bunch of enemies around. But the fact that you get that recharge incentivizes you to fight things and not just avoid everything because the world is full of enemies around. I just thought this is a really nice touch. 
especially when you get to be, you know, a little bit higher level than some of those enemy groups, because say you ran into a, a more difficult encounter prior to that, you could find a group of enemies and say, okay, like these guys are under levels for me. I'm going to go take them out, get some of my charges back, my crimson tier charges back. And it is extremely helpful, uh, especially when you're really focusing on exploration and not just finding the next site of grace. The scarabs as well were extremely yeah. helpful. Yeah, I don't know if you had planned on bringing that up, but there are scarabs yeah. throughout the world, uh, blue and red, and some also silver or gray, that if you defeat, or I guess white, um, but if you defeat the red ones, they refill your crimson tears. If you defeat the blue ones, they... <laughs> This name kills me every time. They refill your cerulean tears. Right. <laughs> which like, okay, from, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they were checking out the, the, the uh, thesaurus there. What's another word for blue? Cerulean. There yes. was an X-Files episode uh, where cerulean <laughs> blue played a huge role in it. And I always think about it when, when playing Elden Ring now. Mm -hmm. But uh, then they also have the white ones, which were super cool. When you find them and defeat them, you typically get a spell or, you know, something. And, uh, uh, right, yeah, an right. Ash of War, like a weapon art. Yeah. Right, right. Or even summon uh, the, you know, spirit ashes to summon. Yeah. So in a lot of the, um, in a lot of the FromSoft games, one of the secrets that you learn is that you don't have to fight everything. You can just run past everything. And that's totally true in Elden Ring too. Like you're not really required to fight a lot of things, especially out in the open world. But now you get a bonus if you want to fight things. At the very least, maybe you'll fight them, you'll have to heal one time, but then when you're done fighting it, you'll get that healing back and you'll be mm -hmm. able to use it again. And this will sustain you through like hours of exploring, like doing that, finding more checkpoints to like do a full heal and stuff like that. If I had given it a bunch of thought before Elden Ring, if I had been like watching, you know, coverage and not on Blackout, I might have been kind of worried like, you know, these games are really hard. <laughs> what if I don't want to fight everything when I'm out exploring um, and like just take a beating over and over again? Well, it turns out, number one, you have a bunch of tools to make the game easier for yourself, but also they're super generous with giving you healing charges back, uh, which it was just such a good idea. I think that mm -hmm. I think it's perfect. And it just feels like you're making more progress than any other from game because there's not you you could like you said explore for hours and it's uninterrupted. You're not being interrupted by death. I mean, I had runs where especially in that first area, I was just see, seeing every inch of it without dying because it was apparent like, oh, that's a really really big enemy. I should probably avoid it. That's a group of smaller enemies. I think I have a chance there. And then being rewarded at the end of it. There were so many times, too, I was hurting, running low on flasks, and I would hear that chiming of a scarab and know, mm -hmm. like, oh, that's that's such a good feeling. You're like, oh, my, yeah. I, they saved the day here. I just have to find this scarab and everything <laughs> will be okay. Yeah, 100%. You have so much freedom out in the open world, too, to, like you said, like, oh, that, like, there's a, an actual giant there. I don't want to fight that thing right now. So just ride past it on your horse or like one of the notorious things in Elden Ring is that the first boss on the main path is really hard. And what they're trying to teach you is when you find something in this game, 
that's really hard, go somewhere else. Go explore. You'll level up. You'll get upgrade materials. Then you're going to come back and you're going to stomp that boss into the ground because you've you've gotten a lot stronger. And in another, in like let's say Dark Souls One, if you found a really hard boss, chances are you you may have another path to go on, but that path is probably harder than you should be on at this point. So you can grind to make it easier, or you can fight that boss, you know, 30 times until you beat it. In Elden Ring, you have the freedom to say, fuck this, I'm going to go explore for 25 hours and I'll come back and I'll, I'll destroy that boss when I'm ready to. And it's, it's just a really great feeling. And I did that several times where I found something and I was like, this is really hard, like probably harder than like my weapons not doing a lot of damage against this. Let me go explore somewhere else. I'll mark this on my map and I'll come back. And I did that several times. Yeah, I did the same. Uh, Going back to my co-host who's currently playing through it, he had messaged me about fighting that first boss and saying, oh, you know, I feel like I, I can beat him, but I don't know. He keeps killing me. I'm level seven. Should I... Should I go explore more? And I was like, yeah, absolutely you should, because not only is it going to make beating that boss easier, but you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't go explore more. There is In that first area, there is so much to see. Yeah. And you really should go out and see it. And yes, you will get stronger along the way. It will make those boss encounters easier, but also there, it's going to help you understand the mechanics of Elden Ring a lot better as well. This is classic like from software to like kind of being obtuse a little bit where they give you the points of grace will all have like this light shining out of them that points you toward the next point of grace on the main quest path but if you just follow that you'll come up against that boss and Mm -hmm. like the boss is super super hard and that's a lot of people like first point where they're gonna think like oh this this is really fucking like this is too hard where it's actually from soft telling you like this is an open world go explore don't follow the main path but they're telling it in that classic like obtuse from software way they they won't have a character tell you they'll tell you by giving you a boss that's too hard for you right at the beginning mm-hmm. so for some of us who have this from software language at this point it's more obvious than it is to people who this are not as experienced. So like maybe that's something that is a little bit more obtuse than it needs to be, but I think feel like everyone kind of figures that out. Level yeah. 7 though is kind of <laughs> that's, that's real low. I'm like, "Man, you you made it there at level 7? Good yeah, for you." Yeah. For real. Yeah, good for you. But I do think having it as an open world game, most people, I feel like it's got to be at least 90% of people are going to go explore the world before they follow that main site. Especially yeah. if they have a familiarity with open world games, not necessarily from games. Right. That's, I mean, that's why we play open world games. We want to explore. We want to have the freedom to go do what we want to do. And so, like, Elden Ring definitely gives you that, too. And, like, when you first start the game, you go outside, and right outside the door, when you first enter the open world, is a tree sentinel which is a very difficult enemy it's it's way too hard for you right at the beginning yes that was when i first got that thing of like okay there's going to be stuff that's too hard 
when I run into it, just avoid it, go do some other stuff. I'm going to come back in 10 hours and I'm going to kick that tree sentinel's ass though. And I did. <laughs> and it felt great. But it's it's a lot of like showing, not telling for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And this may be a, this may be a product of my starting class, but I felt like, yes, this is the easiest and most approachable from game. But those first five or six hours for me were hellacious, like <laughs> up up there with the most difficult from soft games because because of that tree sentinel. And if you go a little bit to the south, there's another huge enemy that comes comes in. Oh and, right, yeah. And then if you explore a little bit, you may find something that sends you to a place you can't escape. And it was just <laughs> like, what is going on here? This sh- I I heard how approachable this game was, but it was and I have played other from games, but man, I was. I was hurting those first five or six hours for sure. Yeah, we we definitely praised how approachable it is. And then there are also a lot of ways that From likes to fuck with you. Yeah. Like, you know, come right outside. There's a tree sentinel right in front of you. You shouldn't fight it for another 10 hours. If you go into a cave nearby, something bad's going to happen to you. If you go to the east, there's another giant enemy that's too hard for you right now. Uh, but it was a really cool feeling at the same time of being dropped into this world that is like, did you ever play like uh Xenoblade Chronicles or Final Fantasy 13 or any of these like JRPGs that have these roaming enemies on the map that are way over leveled for you at the time? Oh gosh, nothing really is coming to mind. I'm I'm sure I have played games like that. I haven't played Xenoblade Chronicles at all though, okay. or, but uh Yes, I'm familiar with the idea. Yeah, so like this this just reminded me of that where like in Xenoblade Chronicles that was a cool thing at first where you'll like go out on these big open maps and you'll have the enemies you're supposed to fight and you're level 15 and then there's an enemy that's level 90 and it will kill you in one hit if you get too close to it. And I always thought that was kind of cool, but it didn't end up being super fun because I didn't want to come back and fight them. But for some reason in Elden Ring, it was really fun. And it, like, the tree sent, I fought the tree sentinel like 15 times. I got him down to like a third health until I finally was like, this, all right, just Dave, swallow your pride, come back later. And I did come back later and I whooped his ass and it felt great. And it, it feels like, a very good version of that Xenoblade Chronicles thing that I just described. Uh, Cause like the tree Sentinel, if you're good, you like, if you're really good at the game, you could beat that tree Sentinel at level seven, you could do mm-hmm. it and you can beat the first boss at level seven too. That's another thing about the, the, you know, from soft games that I've always admired from a distance. Cause I'm not going to do this, but you can beat these whole games at level one. If you're good enough, they're not games that like are dependent on your stats. Uh, right. You know, you're not going to beat that level 90 thing in Xenoblade Chronicles based on your skill. But in this game, you can. And I've, I've watched some level run, level one runs in Elden Ring uh, on YouTube. Totally possible. It, not God for bless me. <laughs> yeah, God bless him. Right. But it is approachable in that way. But for the rest of us, you're going to see those enemies and you're going to be like, that's really hard. I'm going to go somewhere else. And then you're, I, I mean, I just assume a lot of people are going to get captured by exploring and then you're going to level up a bunch and come back and 
you're going to win. It's going to feel good. I, I did go back and, and fight almost everything that beat me. Uh, and, and like you said, maybe this was all a way to push me on the right path, right? They do that. They put roadblocks in your way. And, and I know I had to avoid certain areas for a certain amount of time until I could go back and, and defeat those enemies. So it's effective with an open world. Yeah. Kind of the last thing about the open world is just like what you're going to find out there. So you'll find ruins around to explore. Uh, they usually have some treasure in them. You'll find uh, these catacombs. Um, you will find caves. You'll find mines. Uh, you will find all kinds of stuff to go into. And these feel like uh, in the Bloodborne episode, and Ryan, you played Bloodborne, so you can get down with this uh, comparison. These feel like the chalice dungeons in Bloodborne, but if they were good, like if they were handcrafted and interesting. Um, and they're short too. They're shorter than Bloodborne chalice dungeons. Like they're yeah, 10 to 15 minute, like Dark Souls level snacks. They all have like one shortcut, you know, you do the chalice dungeon thing where you go through in the catacombs to like pull a lever and unlock a door and then you fight a boss, but it just feels really good. You find good rewards in there, which was another thing about the chalice dungeons that sucked is like you beat a chalice dungeon to get more chalice dungeon materials to do more chalice dungeons that you don't like. In this game, you get better rewards. And so like every time I found a cave or a catacomb, or a mine, I was like, I'm going to go do that right now. Yeah, absolutely. I would seek them out because the reward was always worth it. I also think that they benefited from being a part of the world, whereas Bloodborne's Chalice Dungeons were not. Some of these right. caves connected parts of the world, and, and sometimes the reward was just coming out of on the other side and seeing where you were and mm -hmm. realizing like, hey, I made it to this part. I didn't know how to make it to this part of the map prior to going in this cave. Uh, I also think that it it really can't be understated how big the world FromSoft created <laughs> is, but to add layers inside that world to make it yeah. just that much bigger, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Without spoiling, uh, when you look at the map, that's not all there is. Uh, and so yeah. like these caves and stuff are part of that. Yeah, it, it's crazy that you have the map which is just the surface level. And then you have all these caves and mines and tunnels and other stuff. And it's really, really good to explore. And like you said, you get good rewards. Like in the catacombs, you'll get um, items to upgrade your spirit ashes. And in mines, you'll find items to upgrade your weapons. And you'll find new boss fights. Typically, you'll go through one of those catacombs or mines. You'll get enough souls or runes to do a level up. Um, mm -hmm. And... You're just constantly being rewarded for all of this exploring you're doing and just feels great. Yeah, good stuff. There's also these things called Everjails that you'll find, uh, which I've, this is like one of my main questions for the lore community is like, what the hell's up with those little worm things outside the Everjails? <laughs> yeah, I'm not the person to ask. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they are, they're just basically little boss arenas that you find throughout the world. Um, I would say, I don't know, just off the top of my head, there's like 20, 25 of these. And um, you just, you know, press interact. It will say like, do you want to enter the Ever Jail? And I was like, yes. I don't know what that means, but yes. <laughs> That's something in all the uh, 
from software games that I learned is like when someone asks you if you want to do something, just say yes. It's going to be interesting. There's no consequences. This is not real life. So just say yes. Uh, And they're boss fights. Every one of them is just a a little boss fight uh, that you cannot use your spirit ashes in. You cannot summon. It is a 1v1 boss fight. And uh, these are also mostly fun. And because I couldn't do the spirit ashes, one of the top three hardest bosses in the game was an Everjail boss for me. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't, maybe it was, I benefited from my build. Uh, I didn't find any of them particularly difficult. The ones I did, I didn't do a ton of these. Uh, There were a few that I went in and tried once and I was like, yep, coming back in a few levels, came back and didn't have issue with it. So maybe that's why I found them easier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very interesting inclusion though. And I like how it was your chance to shine stripped away of all the benefits this game gives you. Yeah. So like, even if you are using all of those, you know, spirit ashes and stuff like that, which I said I relied on a lot, even if you're doing that, the Everjails are like, nope, this is a one-on-one fight. You got to learn this boss. And man, there's one of them that took me like 30 plus tries to beat. I wish you could so, just say it. Spoiler I mean, wall, be damned. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, well, I'll say like it was in one of the very early areas of the game. This okay. boss was much too hard for that area that it was in. I, I think I know. Yeah. Yeah. Just another lesson of like, you know, there are going to be things that are too hard for you, even in the first area. So come back later, mark it on your map. It's all good. Yeah. I've heard people say to keep a journal next to you, like in real life. Uh, I did not do anything of the sort. I feel like a lot of it sticks with you. The places that you need to go back to just kind of lived in my memory until I went back to them. And they give you little like pins you can put on your map mm-hmm. too. So you don't have to do it all from like your real life memory. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm not a, I'm not a journaling type or like keeping logs or even mm-hmm. drawing my own maps or something like that. It's never a, something I really enjoy doing in games. Same. This game has a lot of platforming, which is wild to think about from where from where the other From Software games were. But you're going to be doing a lot of platforming, and I found this to be really funny to think about how like the one thing that all From Software fans could unite on before was that the platforming was like uniformly terrible in everything except for Sekiro. And then From Software was like, not only are we going to give you a jump button in this game, and we're going to have platforming, but we're also going to make you do a ton of platforming on your horse, <laughs> which is very funny to me to think about. But in execution, we said before, Torrent stops on a dime, uh, Torrent like turns on a dime as well, and the platforming is like really good, like controls well feels good to do torrent has a double jump so you can like correct your mistakes which is very funny to a horse with a double jump very yeah. good um but the plat there's a lot of platforming and it still gets into like super white knuckle territory but i found it to be mostly pretty fun 
I think they nailed the platforming in this, especially for their first tryout. I was very surprised by how well they pulled it off. And that double jump does save you sometimes if your camera angles off or if you find yourself just missing a platform. That double jump saved me on more than a few occasions. Mm -hmm. There are also those jump platforms for Torrent. The kind yeah. of uh, whirlwind ones that... Yeah, I forget what they're called. The jump streams or something like that. Right, but right. Whenever you find one, like, if you're on the ground and you find one, they will help Torrent jump super high into the air to get up onto, like, high cliffs or something like that. But if you're above one, like, if you're on that cliff, you can jump without fear of fall damage into one of those uh, kind of whirlwind things. Yeah. I like how... They make, they kind of mix that in to, to puzzles, too. There would be areas where you, how do I get up there? How do I get up there? And it's like, well, if you use that jump stream and figure, like, you can manipulate that to get to certain areas uh, in that, that are incorporated in, into that platforming, I think. And that's another thing about the exploring, too. Like, there's so many areas where I was just trying so hard to get to a thing. Like, I'm like, I see it. I see it. I just, I can't get up there. I don't know how. And then like 45 hours later, I would walk out of a cave and I'd be like, holy shit, it's that place. I f I'm here. And that happened like five times and it was always so cool. Yeah, definitely. Good moments. Lots of good moments like that. There are a couple platforming challenges in my head that I'm thinking of right now where I was like, like sweaty hands, like what am I doing here? Like, is this really how I'm supposed to get up there or like get down there? And then I would get there and it was like, yep, that was how you do that. You had to go through this like platforming gauntlet uh, to get there. So, but it, it's responsive and just like having that jump button opens up so much of the game. It's, it's real good. If I want to see one improvement in the next from game, it's that walking off a ledge should only make you fall straight down. Oh. <laughs> There's always that little like, oh, I'm just like tapping the stick forward just to barely walk off this ledge, and you inevitably end up walking a foot and a half beyond the edge of the ledge because FromSoft, yeah. and uh, that did not go away in Elden Ring. No, it didn't. So there was a couple platforming sections where you have to go down, which mm -hmm. uh, ended up being probably harder than it should have been because like we're saying like the platforming is really good. This is not like you know, you're not Mario, right? You're, correct. you're still a from software character, but it's much better, uh, much better than I ever expected it to be. Yeah. The midair control comes in handy. I think that was a big, big thing to include. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of though, is those platforming going down sections where you just need to tiptoe off the ledge and you literally cannot do it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely does work out that way sometimes. So we talked about like the caves, the mines. These are all like mini, mini levels. They take you like 10, 15 minutes. There's a boss at the end. Then you have the legacy dungeons uh, throughout the game, which are the old style from software levels where you have looping paths and shortcuts. And these are like multi-hour dungeons to go through. They're huge. And in this game, I feel like they're bigger because there's less of them. There's I want to say there's maybe 10 in Elden Ring. Like, there's there's not a lot of them. But what you do get are huge. They are giant levels. Yeah, and uh, I think they did a, almost 
unanimously good job with the legacy dungeons. There are some of these that I think are like among the best levels they've ever made, despite being twice the size of the other levels that I would say are the best levels they've ever made. Like the first one, you know, Mm -hmm. Stormvale Castle is you, you spend, so you get this contrast, right? So I spent like 20 plus hours out in the open world exploring before I got to the first legacy dungeon, which is Stormvale Castle. And they tell you to go to Stormvale Castle right at the beginning of the game. So like, that's your goal. And then when you get there, you realize this is, this is a Dark Souls level. This is a castle with interconnecting paths and stuff like that. But not only is it that, it's three times the size as a regular Dark Souls level. And so it's, and it, it's amazing. Like the level design in it is incredible. Mm-hmm. The, in, the encounters in there, the secrets to find it, it's above and beyond what a lot of the levels in the older games did. And this is something that myself and other people have been praising from software for, for a decade is level design. And the, these legacy dungeons are so good. It really is something else. They, they stepped their game up, which is, you know, something that is difficult to do when the pedigree is what FromSoft's pedigree is. Yeah. I mean, Dark Souls, look at the first Dark Souls. They nailed it back in 2013. And to take that and improve upon it is really something special. And they're just, they're spaced out throughout the game, like in a way where like, I don't know, if you get to the point where you're sick of open world exploring and you want to go do a big, you know, from soft level, you usually have one available to you at the time, uh, especially later in the game when there's some that are totally optional, which is wild that they've made so many of these levels that had to have taken them so much time and effort to, to make. But I, if I'm, if I'm thinking like, you know, only a handful of them are required on the main path of the story. And there are several of them actually, it might, might even be less there. There might only be like three that are required to do. There's several that are totally optional, uh, to do, which is crazy because these are some of the best content in the game. and. Yeah, totally optional for a lot of them. Yeah, it is pretty wild. You definitely should play through as many as you can. If uh, if you haven't played Elden Ring, I would that would be my advice is to seek out these legacy dungeons and play through them. I think each and every one of them is good in their own right. But they always do such a good job of ramping up the difficulty. I feel like every one of them starts off with this confidence build where maybe the first 30 minutes of it, 45 minutes, you're like, Oh, okay, this isn't that bad. I'm running into enemies. I'm not having the hardest time with, you know, you're Mm -hmm. getting between two or three sites of grace fairly easily. And then it takes that step up in difficulty. You maybe have a mini boss and then a little bit tougher regular bosses before the next site of grace. And then it just hits that level where it's like, all right, here's a gauntlet before you get to the final boss to make sure you're ready for that final boss. And uh, it's not a noticeable formula. Like you don't go into a legacy dungeon and go, Oh, okay. Like I I did this in the last one. I'm familiar with this, blah, blah, blah. But it is something that is so subtle and done so well that I definitely wanted to highlight it. It's made to make you feel like you are prepared for it, 
but also make you feel like you overcame a, a severe challenge when you get through it, when you reach the end of, end of them. Yeah. Like just using Stormvale as an example, I, when I finished Stormvale, I felt like I had just like conquered the entire world. Yeah, like, absolutely. Stormvale in particular is one of those. But again, like I think all of these legacy dungeons in Elden Ring are like excellent. Like they, they clearly like, they were like, we're going to make less levels, you know, less big interconnecting levels in Elden Ring. So the ones that we do make, they all have to be good. There's, there's, there are no stinkers in here for sure. Real good stuff. Uh, again, definitely recommend. And this goes into like exploring too, because again, some of them are totally optional, but when you do find one, um, yeah, make sure you explore, make sure you go through, look for treasure, find all those shortcuts. A lot of them have like optional sub areas inside of them too. Like you have like the the main level and then there's like a sub area where some weird shit's going on. There's a <laughs> bunch of stuff like that uh, in these too. It's just, it's it's a marvel. It's one of the best parts about the game. Yeah, make sure to hit walls 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to get, I want to get out in front of that because it's a fun joke. Um, but like that was kind of a meme that was going around, you know, like that hit that wall 50 times. That's the only one in the game and it's not important. There's literally it's another so not, door right. right next to it. it. It was just like people data mining and finding stuff like that. I'm sure don't feel like you have to hit every wall. There are, or don't feel like you have to hit every wall 50 times. There are lots of invisible walls to find, mm -hmm. but you only have to hit them once or roll right. into them. Actually, that's another good thing Elden Ring got rid of. They got rid of weapon durability, uh, so you don't have to worry about hitting a wall with your sword. The first few times I did it, I, I winced and then yeah. <laughs> recognized Same. it wasn't like uh, there was no repair option when I went to the uh, the smith, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, one more thing about Elden Ring changes before we get into uh, the last couple sections of the non-spoiler part is uh, Elden Ring has crafting, and when I because I didn't know this going in, when I saw them say, uh, the, f the first uh, merchant you meet says, like, buy my crafting kit so you can craft items. I was like, oh no, this is a crafting, I hate crafting in games. A lot of times it feels superfluous at best. Thinking of, like, Horizon Zero Dawn, mm -hmm. just crafting items all the time or like being or like other games where you're able to craft a bunch of items like in uh like Skyrim. Mm -hmm. But you know, I don't need to craft a bunch of items cuz right. I find a ton of items. Uh in Elden Ring, let's say you're able to craft 100 items. Uh I only used about 10 of them, so I didn't do a ton of crafting. But what I do like about this is that this broke me of my habit in uh from software games of hoarding all my consumables because I could just craft more. So, like, in Dark Souls, I was always kind of worried, like, I have five firebombs. If I waste these, they're gone, and I have to go buy more. In Elden Ring, I could just use firebombs all the time because it's cheap to make more. And same with, you know, your poison cures and your scarlet rot cures. Well, those are not as cheap to replace. But anyway, like, uh, arrows and stuff like that. You can craft all of this stuff. And it really just made me say like, Hey, fuck it. Have fun with the consumables because they're not limited anymore. Yeah. I, um, 
I actually didn't craft uh, a whole lot. I had this idea early on, got the crafting kit. I was excited. I was like, oh, look at all these things I can craft. You pick up the cookbooks and can craft more. You know, more options become available to you. And eventually it was just like, I didn't use it. I never used it. I probably really could have benefited from it, but I made it through the entire game without really crafting or using the things I crafted. And I definitely stuck to hoarding all my consumables, which is very yeah. <laughs> typical of something I do in a Souls game. And it, it didn't yeah. change for me personally for this, but it's good the options there. Yeah, the options there. And like, I think I said this in like the Bloodborne episode. I said this before, but like, one of the worst feelings is like fighting a boss and you're like, I think if I use the fire grease to like put fire on my weapon, I think that would help me against this boss. Like in Bloodborne, there's a lot of bosses that are weak to lightning. So you're like, I want to use this bolt paper, but if I die, I will have wasted that bolt paper. And now I have to go farm souls and buy more. But in Elden Ring, just craft more. And you find the ingredients everywhere. And it's really, really helpful of breaking you of that like mindset of being afraid to use your consumables. I didn't do a ton of crafting, but I did craft up, you know, fire grease or uh, fire bombs and uh, those rainbow stones that help you mark paths. Um, Those are super helpful. Like, we talked about platforming, but I there's a cool trick someone showed me where if you drop one of those stones off the side of a, a ledge, if it lands safely, you won't die if you jump. And if it breaks, you will die. So I used a ton of those and I just crafted more. I never felt bad about using, you know, 35 of them during a, a platforming thing because right. I could just craft more. It's cheap. I'm a little more reckless. I didn't know about the stones trick, but I was like, eh. I usually just eyeballed it. I'm like, yeah, it looks yeah. all right. I could, I could probably make that. <laughs> and I'd find out one way or the other. Um, yeah. I, I will say, a, I, I should mention a big reason I stopped crafting is because I was using things like fire grease until I got the weapon that I couldn't use fire grease on, which is one that oh, I right. used for the, yeah. the pretty much the remainder of the game. And then I just stopped crafting after that. There's a bunch of enemies that are weak to fire so i was just like constantly crafting uh fire pots which mm. is this game's version of fire bombs so it's kind of like half and half like i didn't use this for 90 percent of the possible items that you can craft but for the ones that i did use i really enjoyed how crafting uh just let me freely use my consumables without worrying too much the other one is like the you have a consumable item in this game that helps you summon other players, Mm. but you can craft that and you find the crafting ingredients everywhere. So I ended the game with like 85 of these items to summon new players. So like you may in dark souls, you may be like, I don't have enough humanity to just summon new players all the time. Mm -hmm. But in Elden ring, you don't have to worry because you literally, you'll find like 400 of them throughout the game. And then you'll find like 700 of those flowers that help you craft it. So just summon away, like, don't worry, everything's fine. It's another good part about this crafting system. And it's going to be one of the only times I really, really praise a crafting system because I don't like crafting in a lot of games. Like, again, crafting feels like one of those things that like, especially AAA games are like, we have an open world game. We have to have crafting. 
And I'm like, you don't have to have crafting. Make it be worth your time. And in Elden Ring, I think it uh, the good outweighs the bad for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, as a now hearing how much you don't like crafting, it was it makes me all the more happy that you appreciated the crafting in The Last of Us. Uh, because yeah. I love those games, and uh, man, it's really good to hear that it's something you don't take a liking to, but you appreciate it in the in the first one. Yeah, so like, just a lot of games where it's like crafting for the sake of having a crafting system, because all games have to have a crafting system. Like I, those are the ones where I'm like, I don't really want to do this, and I don't like finding crafting uh, materials as rewards for mm-hmm. you know. I don't like to open up a treasure chest and find crafting materials in there, which does happen in Elden Ring sometimes. Yeah. But the main benefit was, again, like I wasn't so precious about my consumables, and I think that's a net positive. So it takes a lot of the stress away when it comes to things like summoning, like wondering if if this is going to be the time I potentially waste humanity or something like right. that, there's, there is no question of that anymore. I think horizon uh, zero dawn was the perfect example of poor crafting, like just unnecessary. You have to craft a kit to fast travel in that game. That is exactly what games don't need. Right. There's a lot of games where you, you can, you find materials to craft weapons but the weapons that you find out in the world are way better than anything you craft. So it's just a big waste of time. And that's, mm. yeah, just not a thing in Elden Ring. So overall net positive, which is <laughs> about as much as I'm going to praise a crafting system until we get to the Last of Us episode. So there's a little tease. All right, we're going to take a little music break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the uh, story in Elden Ring, which we've waited uh, an hour and a half to uh to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so story in Elden Ring, which we waited a long time to bring up. Uh, the number one reason we waited so long is uh, because I still don't know everything that's going on in the story. And this, because we're playing this right at release uh, concurrently with everyone else, I don't have the benefit of watching, you know, 10 hours of Vadi Vidya videos to learn what's going on in the story. But here's the setup. So this takes place in this... Uh, land called the lands between uh which are governed by these kind of like rules of nature and the elden ring is the physical manifestation of the laws of nature basically and the elden ring is covered in these runes which are i guess the laws of nature um the elden ring was shattered one night because the rune of death was stolen and because the rune of death was stolen, I guess we're losing death as an as like a a concept is kind of removed from the world, and I I maybe that's why you know you die and are revived all the time and stuff like that. I guess, um, like I said, not super clear on this myself. Um, but me neither. This game was um kind of co 
Like the idea was kind of co-written by George R. R. Martin and uh, the writing staff at From Software. Famously, George R. R. Martin was a part of this, and we've come to learn that his contributions were kind of like writing the backstory of this game, who the characters are, who they were, everything that led up to the shattering of the Elden Ring. And then kind of in George R. R. Martin fashion, all of these like demigods and major characters started squabbling with each other, fighting for the shards of the Elden Ring that were released when it was shattered. And uh, there's been a, a theory that George R. R. Martin um, has rebuked, that this is why all of the characters in the, the games, their names start with G, R, or M, uh, which I find that too much to be a coincidence. There's no way it's, not, there's no way it's a coincidence, in my opinion. Uh, it's possible it's not a coincidence, but I don't know if it. He's not a very vain person, uh, yeah. so I wouldn't be surprised if it's not a coincidence. But I also couldn't really see him doing this. On a side note, having characters' names start with either G, R, or M made it easy, a lot easier to track who was from what family and what relations yeah. were present between those people. And that's the reasoning that he gave for why the names are so similar, because it's like familial, you know, naming mm -hmm. conventions, which is fine. Like, I get that. And I, I'm on board with that, too. I just think, like, if, that, if it's not naming it on purpose, then it is the world's biggest coincidence that they all start oh. with G, R, or M. Like, he subconsciously wrote it that way, maybe right. not, like, purposefully. And then when someone brought it up, he was like, oh, uh, oops. <laughs> but you can definitely tell this has some like George R. R. Martin uh fingerprints on it with kind of the way that the rulers are squabbling, the way that the kind of politics of it work with what little I know about it. This has a more fully fleshed out and kind of um there are more things in the background of this, you know, like movers and shakers, I feel lots like of moving than, pieces. Yeah, lots of yeah. moving pieces. More so than in the backstory of Dark Souls, um, or the back like the story of Sekiro and stuff like that. So, I think the George R. R. Martin thing and like the the hype ended up being more than it actually like turned out to be because at the end of the day, this is a From Software game. They're not going to tell you this story the way that A Song of Ice and Fire is told. But in the background, if you're willing to do all the digging, or in my case, if you're willing to watch all the YouTube videos, um, there is a lot to be found. It is there. It's just not going to be told to you straight out. Because at the end of the day, this is FromSoft. This is how they tell stories. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I almost didn't think – it didn't even occur to me that George R. R. Martin had a hand in this. I was very aware of it leading up to the game. But playing through it, it was so much of an afterthought, it wasn't even present. There's, there were a couple of things that, like, knowing George R. R. Martin was a part of it, there were a couple of things that I, like, story events that happen or that you learn about, or, like, little short stories with NPCs mm -hmm. or something, where I was like, that feels very George R. R. Martin. But at the same time, like, George R. R. Martin is known for, like, shocking you with how character stories can turn out, you know, like mm -hmm. sudden tragedies and stuff like that. From Software also does that. That's always been one of their things uh, throughout their games too. So sometimes it is hard to pinpoint like that's a George R. R. Martin thing. 
that's a from software thing mm-hmm. except for those like family relationships politics and bickering and stuff like that i will say actually when we get into the spoilers there's one particular parallel uh that i'm going to point out from from a song of ice and fire uh that i think is almost assuredly george r r martin's doing okay all right can't wait to hear it <laughs> um so in this game there's a concept called grace where it's it's like a kind of blessing almost by the Elden Ring. Uh, they call it grace. Uh, and it's this kind of tangible thing. And there is a demographic of the population who are spurned by grace. And they're called the tarnished. That's what your character is. Uh, so at the beginning of the game, grace once again calls out to the tarnished. And it you see the opening cutscene of the game shows you all of these famous tarnished who are being revived or they're being called if they hadn't died uh, to come and try and take the throne and become the Elden Lord. This is all told in the opening cutscene of the game. Very dramatically. Yeah, very... The, the, <laughs> the guy, such, such a ham, dude. Yeah. <laughs> the guy doing the voiceover in that opening cutscene... They were like, hey, man, you get one cutscene in this game. You have 25 lines. Give it 250%. And he did. So I do think he voiced other characters in the game. Did he? Uh, okay. Yeah, well, like the, the timber of the voice, right? That little bit of like graininess is present in a few other characters. But man, when he's like, rise, tarnished, it's, yeah. <laughs> man, it gets you. <laughs> he gets, he gets, he has a couple. He's like, oh, <laughs> <Yes>. rise. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that was always so funny. Oh, it's so good. So you and your your character is in from software fashion. You're a nobody. You're not one of these famous tarnished. Um, you are also touched by grace and revived. And this is your goal. Your goal is to make it to the roots or not the roots, make it to the Erd tree, which is this great, you know, world tree type thing um, and become the Elden Lord. And that is, uh, that's the opening cutscene. That's your story, like your purpose for setting out on your journey. I do think it's a bit more straightforward in this game as to like what you're supposed to be doing. But I want to get your opinion on this, Ryan. One thing about From Software games is that the main story and especially the NPC stories are a little bit convoluted, hard to follow. And I want to know if this being a giant open world game affected your ability to follow any of the story at all. The story for me in these games is very secondary. So I actually found it not incredibly. I mean, granted, there is a large, there's a lot of story to follow. I felt like a lot of the relations between characters was apparent fairly easily. As far as the overarching story, it is very much in from soft fashion. <laughs> it's very much like I need those videos to follow it. And um, I need to listen to somebody else explain it to me, especially over the course of my playthrough being 79 hours. It's a lot to keep track of in that 79 hours when you're jumping from person to person. As for my motivation to go and defeat certain people and what was driving me to do that, 
that was all very easy to follow and was they were very transparent with with the purpose of of your tarnished yeah i never lost track of like that main goal but the the one thing was like especially with npcs and trying to follow their quest lines because in uh dark souls games npcs follow you throughout the game they'll show up in levels as you progress through the game but in Elden Ring, it's so non-linear and it's so big that it's it's real easy to miss those and like not be able to finish their stories. Or like, and the other thing is like, different parts of the map belong to different factions in the game, and so, and then sometimes you'll find evidence of like different factions in different places. Maybe they're fighting each other or something like that, and it kind of became too much to follow but i'm but i'm also like you where like even in tightly linear from software games i don't follow the story super well anyway i just found it a little bit harder in elden ring uh, especially with those npcs there were npcs i just straight up missed and didn't even get a chance to do any of their quest line well like what i mean is like Let's let's say an NPC quest line story has uh, eight stops, right? Mm-hmm. I'm able to follow the first two pretty easily because I naturally came across them. And then they went somewhere for step three, and it because it's a giant open world game, I just never saw them. And yeah, that happened yeah. to me more often in Elden Ring, I feel like. Yeah, I think I completed three, maybe four NPC quest lines and there are a lot more than that available so i definitely definitely agree with you i found the same thing happening in my first playthrough for dark souls though there were a lot of npcs in that game um very memorable ones yeah (laughs) and i just would miss that one spot that you got to run into them and i didn't get to see them through in my first playthrough of that game either so is it different than other other souls games i think it's fair to say the open world makes it more difficult to track those quests the one good thing is that they did patch it so now npcs have a little marker on the map showing you where they are but this happened a couple times an npc will leave and they'll leave a message on the ground saying like i've gone to this place and i wish more npcs did that but now now that you do have those markers on the map it's easy to remember where NPCs are if they don't move. And sometimes it's easier to find where they went because of that. Sometimes. Uh, you're right. This is not new for from software. They, the NPC quests have always been like this. But in this game, because there's more land and more area for NPCs to go to, I found it easier to miss some. I I probably completed four or five, including the one that uh, influenced the ending that I got. So, yeah. Anyway, I think the story, what I'm learning about the story as the lore community is kind of coming out with their videos and stuff, the stuff that I'm hearing is super, super interesting. Like, I really like it. But I don't know a whole lot about it as we stand here today recording um, because this just kind of like Teflon, the story stuff sometimes just bounces right off of me. And that's not what Teflon does to things, but anyway. But it doesn't uh, stick. It doesn't, doesn't stick to me. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> um, it's 
the story is just like Flubber, just bounces right off of me. There you go. That's that's a good comparison. <laughs> uh, it's it's funny to say that I think of all the From games, Bloodborne had the one that stuck with me the most story wise. Yeah, uh, I think mm-hmm. it was one of the easiest to track as well. I think that is easier than this to track. Um, I also did watch one video, Vadi Vidya put out uh, the a big one. And I watched that, and I mean, you could have asked me questions while I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. No, that's perfect. And I think Teflon's the good, the good parallel because you, if you asked me any questions ten minutes after watching that video, I'd be like, I, I don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what we just learned about. Yeah, watch the video, and someone's like, <laughs> someone's like, Ryan, I give you a million dollars if you can tell me who Saint Trina is, and you're like, oh, God damn it. Yeah, I don't have any idea who that is. Same, yeah. So anyway, the story stuff I think is interesting. In-game, the characters that you meet are really interesting. This is something From Software has always been really good at, is making weird and interesting characters. The characters that you meet are cool. I like them. I like learning about their stories. It's just, this is very dense, and it's not very upfront, and it's just not a storytelling style that really, really connects with me, but I do like the stuff that I see in the videos. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to catch me making one of those videos, but I will watch them regularly and appreciate that other people are willing to put in that effort. Yeah. And so for, for me in Elden Ring is the same as all the other FromSoft games. The real joy is exploring and figuring out like how to get through all these challenges and that extends to the boss fights and so just like every other from soft game a lot of the main characters in the game are bosses and moving into talking about how the bosses work uh ryan maybe i don't know if you i guess if you want to make comparisons to other from soft games or not how do you feel about the bosses in elden ring i think this is the from soft game with the best bosses in my opinion I think a lot of other FromSoft games are hot and cold uh, when it comes to bosses. And this has some phenomenal ones. It has very, very few terrible ones, in my opinion. I think there are people that would disagree. It also happens to be the game, I think, with the most gimmick bosses. (laughs) But So if that's not your thing, maybe there are a few that... But they were mostly optional uh, for those gimmick bosses. But I think if they're not fun to battle, they're at least awesome to see, a sight to behold. And if it's neither of those things, then it's probably easy and over quickly. So one of the main things about Elden Ring, uh, a la Dark Souls 2, something I like about Dark Souls 2 is that there are a lot of bosses, hundreds probably, of boss fights. And most of them are fairly easy like i would say that even even if we say there's 150 bosses i beat most of them on my first try especially the minor bosses um, and that feels good it's something i like about dark souls 2 where they give you some boss fights that are just easy and it makes you feel good to beat a boss in one try and then you're on your way and you get your challenge later and that's something i really like here too i i agree with you the spectacle in a lot of these bosses is some of the best they've ever done. Some of that comes along with it being a late, you know, PS4 
Xbox One game, early PS5, Xbox series, or whatever they're calling it. Technology, they're maximizing the technology of the old consoles using the power of the new consoles um, to make some spectacle that is insane in some of these boss fights. And a lot of them are super fun too. Yeah, I know they had said they the last delay or the last few delays in in production was because the Demon Souls remake came out and they were like, oh right. crap, we need to step it up. There are maybe no parts that visually rival that Demon Souls remake, but it is evident that they put a lot of effort into not only the environments, but definitely the boss fights and the arenas that the bosses are in. I'm thinking of a couple in particular where it's like particle effects all over the place, like flashy animations, like very, very visually awesome. Like I am struggling to think of many of like the major bosses where I was like, this just looks, you know, average, even if it is a dude with a sword, the spectacle of them is, is off the charts. And there are a couple of them, which we'll talk about in the spoiler section, I'm sure that are like insane, insane spectacles, really, really visually cool. Absolutely. Uh, You know, going back, you had mentioned earlier in the episode, this is where that hitbox, I think, made the biggest difference. I never felt like any of the bosses was cheap. Like, I, I always felt like if I made a mistake or if I wasn't prepared, that's on me. It wasn't like I was getting a bogus hitbox that would take me out or anything like that. And there, it always seems like that would happen once or twice in, in prior games, at least once or twice, probably more like four or five times where I'd, there'd be that one boss where I just shouldn't have died. I shouldn't have gotten hit. Mm-hmm. But the hitbox you know, strikes again. And, and it was really refreshing to be able to go into these and, and have a, a, a genuine opportunity to actually dodge and, and not get hit and be out of reach and things like that. Yeah, I totally agree. So on the subject of it being cheap, I do feel like there are a couple bosses that are too much, like that are too hard. And I'm so I'm kind of conflicted. So like I did play the game with the spirit ashes and mm-hmm. I there are only a couple of major bosses that I beat without the spirit ashes. And there are a lot of them that feel like they want you to use the spirit ashes. Otherwise this is a too the bar is too high of difficulty, I think. I think there's some like people like to criticize Dark Souls 3 for having bosses that are too hard or have too much HP or something, too many phases and things like that. I think Elden Ring also has that. Some of the bosses are too aggressive also. I mean, I criticized a couple bosses in Dark Souls 3 for just being hyper-aggressive. You have no time to adjust. They have a bunch of health. In Elden Ring, I feel like some of those bosses are the same way but you have the spirit ashes and that will help you get past it. And part of me kind of wishes that the balance was struck a little bit better on some of these bosses where I didn't feel like I had to use the spirit ashes to beat them. If I would like choose to use them um, because I want to, not because like I get into this boss fight and I feel like I, there, there's no way I could beat this without the spirit ash. There's a couple of them where I legit feel like that, and I'm not sure that's 
the best feeling to have. I don't disagree with any of that. I, I should have given the caveat. My opinion on any of the bosses is that I would readily use my spirit ash first oh, yeah, go, same. first yeah. go, and and every attempt after that. Uh, I think all of that is extremely fair to say. It would be, I mean, immediately, probably fifteen to twenty bosses come to mind that would be a struggle without spirit ashes. There were several that like I did without spirit ashes and had fun with and had a good time um kind of learning the fights and stuff like that. And then there's just so many where I gave them the cursory one or two tries and I was like, I could spend the next two, three hours doing this by myself without the spirit ashes, or I could uh just do the spirit ashes and I'll beat him the next try or the try after that. And then I can move on and keep playing the game. Cause like, I think I've said this before, but boss fights are not my favorite part of any FromSoft game. It's fun for the most part. And I think FromSoft does boss fights better than most game developers do, but that's not why I buy Elden Ring, not for bosses. I want to explore. That's my thing. So in this, I, I did get into some of those things where I was like, all right, well, I'll just pull out the spirit ashes and well, get through this and be able to move on uh, and beat them. Especially toward the end of the game, some of those late game bosses, I feel like are, they're begging you to use the spirit ashes because without it, it's just too much. Yes, absolutely. There's a big ramp up uh, late game, but Again, I have no qualms using my spirit ashes. So for me, right. I didn't see it that way, but you, you bring up some really good points. There are bosses I would never think of attempting solo. It just wouldn't be an option. Yeah. And like, again, I don't feel bad for using the spirit ashes, but I think that this is a super difficult line they chose to walk where now they need to make bosses because they've introduced the spirit ashes. They need to make bosses that don't feel too easy with the spirit ashes, but are not too hard without them. And I think that's almost an impossible line to walk. Uh, And there's varying degrees of success in Elden Ring, I think. I think the only way, and I can't even say it would be an improvement, but the only way they could have done something differently is, is like you 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 mentioned that if you summon a player, there's a buff to the boss. They right. could have added a system where there's a slight buff for using a spirit ash or something like that. And then, you know, maybe make it more approachable to solo bosses. But that's really the only tweak I could see happening outside of that. I think, like you said, they had to do what they had to do to not make it a, a walk in the park when you are using spirit ashes. Right. And, to be clear, I'm not mad that most of the bosses took me one to five tries to beat. Like that's, I'm not disappointed in my experience. I'm not here for boss fights. That's not why I bought this game. But it just, I'm just thinking about like the choice they made and the repercussions of it and the way they have to design the bosses around that. It's an interesting challenge that FromSoft created for themselves. And yeah, yeah uh, just a couple bosses late in the game even with the spirit ashes, I thought were too much, like not fun, like straight up not fun, uh, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> I, do, I do not disagree with you on that. But I think that they were, there's so few 
that yeah that fit that mold that in general for the volume that they put into this game when it comes to bosses I, it, they pretty much nailed it yeah and especially like when you're in one of those you know a cave or a mine or mm-hmm. something like that those bosses are pretty easy as they should be i don't want to go through a, a like a 10 minute optional dungeon and then come up against like a meat wall of a boss like that's kind of defeats the purpose of these little diversions so those are good i'm glad that's not there a lot of the story bosses are really good and there's just a probably less than five that i think are uh too much so we'll get into that later though yeah one thing i like about the bosses uh before we get off the subject is that since a lot of them are story like characters in the story and this is not a spoiler. If you've played a From game before, you know this is how this goes. But uh, you'll find this out right from the beginning. Um, the first boss is part of the story, main character type stuff. They talk to you in this game as you fight them. A lot of them do. And their voice acting is almost uniformly like excellent. And the stuff they say is very funny to me. Like they, they talk about their ambitions. They talk about your quest and then they talk shit to you when they kill you. And it's all really good. Yeah. There's a lot of demeaning stuff thrown your way. And it's not like, it's not like you suck. You know, it's not in your face like that. It's very highbrow to put you down. Like you're no match aside your foolish ambitions. Exactly. Exactly. There are other, other bosses that say some choice things that are basically like, you're not worthy to tie my shoe. Yeah. Uh, And it just makes (laughs) you feel so small when you fail at those attempts. Yeah. It's really good. And having, having a boss talk to you as you're in the fight or, or talk to themselves sometimes uh, makes them feel more alive and more like fully realized characters than in some of the older games where a lot of the bosses are these, you know, undead husks or, you know, you know, beasts and stuff like that. And in this game, a lot of the bosses you're fighting, they're still alive. They're still trying to accomplish things. And, um, it's just really, you get a little bit of extra characterization for them and then for some of them, it adds to the spectacle and you get to see just how weird and off their rocker some of these characters are. I think it's maybe the best implementation in the entire game of how you are this no-name tarnished and they are they are somebodies. They are gods. They're, demi, they're gods yeah, and demigods, right. yeah. And they very much talk to you like... Like, who who do you think you are, dude? I'm a god. Like, yeah. p- recognize this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So overall, I am pretty happy with the boss fights. I would rather go through and kind of think about that, that difficulty balance than go through and be like, you know, like, uh, uh, like Dark Eater, Medir, and Dark Souls 3 or something like that, where I'm just like, man, that was just not fun. Like, these are fun going in with your uh with your spirit ashes and stuff like that or going in with human cooperators i had a good time with mm-hmm. all but uh off the top of my head two uh of them i thought were profoundly not fun but the rest of them i had a good time yeah i think the magic numbers two for me as well <laughs> and I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if it's the same too we co-opt for a boss 
Yeah, we did. Bosses. We, Two bosses, yeah. actually. We, we yeah, took down yeah. a couple of them together, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was cool. I, I rarely co-op in FromSoft games. This might actually be the first time I ever did, so thanks for the opportunity, oh. man. Yeah, I I rarely summon in players uh, to help me, especially because I have my spirit ashes uh, in this game. But I do love helping other people. I like to put my summon sign down and uh, get summoned to help other people. And I, I helped a few people out, uh, just randos. I actually spent like a long time fighting the boss of Stormvale Castle with just randos getting summoned. Had a good time. That's but then, cool. yeah, like you and a couple other friends were like, hey, can you help me out with this? Yeah, I love uh, I love doing that. It's one of my favorite parts about uh, FromSoft games. I appreciate it. So is uh, is the reward worth it to help others? Yeah, you get a uh, you get a rune arc, uh, which helps you use nice. those great runes, and then um, you get a bunch of souls too. So, I like air quotes grinded a little bit by helping people uh, fight. Cool. So in Elden Ring, one other big change from the uh, other FromSoft games is you have music that's playing ambiently throughout the environments. And like, this is a good opportunity to talk about music in general, but like the ambient music is uh, really like really good, like uh, across the board in the legacy dungeons, you have music and then out in the open world segments, you have music too. This is something about FromSoft where like famously they don't put music in their games it's just your footsteps and the enemy sounds in this game it kind of makes some of these areas feel magical the ones that should feel magical it makes some of them feel dangerous the ones that should feel dangerous um and then some of them just i mean it's just weird some of the ambient music is strange and off-putting and um it's just i was this was one of the biggest shocks when i first turned on the game and I was like, whoa, they have music. And it's really good. I love it. It's very, very subdued. Um, I probably didn't notice it immediately. Uh, just because, you know, it is something that's not present in other FromSoft games, but it's present in so many other games that didn't immediately stick out. Right. When I did notice it, though, I started noticing it in every area. And you really start recognizing that a lot of effort went into composing these tunes to spe- set specific moods moods mm-hmm. for where you were where you are at that time. Yeah, thinking specifically about Kalid. Oh, the background it's so so it just keeps you like tense all the time on pins and needles in that yeah. area. The music in like the capital, you're supposed to go to the capital city, it's not a spoiler. Um the music in the capital's insanely good. And uh, like Stormvale Castle, we've, we we uh, will talk about throughout this non-spoiler part. The Stormvale Castle music is is 
man, just a lot of these like ambient tracks. Limgrave has a very, it really sets the tone for the entire game. Like this, not sad, but it's kind of somber, but also magical and fantasy-esque at the same time. Really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's typical from soft boss fight music and right. <laughs> yeah, which always gets you in the right mood for those encounters and yeah. And this I think there's a lot of range in the boss track music in this game. There's mm-hmm. a lot of them that are big and bombastic, you know, the way from software boss tracks usually go. And there's some of them that are more reserved and laid back and everything in between. Uh really fits like the mood of the fights. I can think of a few that are so ethereal and they're like wondrous that the songs are and and the bosses s- such a spectacle that matches that tune so well that I would yeah. just dodge and not really attack like I don't, I just kind of want to see what this thing does and like see it move around the environment and <laughs> yeah it was it was it was really cool yeah and people are going to hear you know snippets of some of the ambient music uh from like the the levels throughout this episode some of the boss tracks uh a couple of them that i'm thinking of in my head right now are some of the best like some of my favorite boss tracks in any from software game uh, are in elden ring uh the main menu music is big and bombastic and kind of sets the tone for this grand journey you're going on it's really and yeah really good while we're talking about music there are a lot of singing enemies (laughs) Yeah, in this game, which was and it's like really crazy beautiful and singing. it's beautiful singing. And the first time I heard it, I was like, "This must be a secret. Where is this beautiful singing coming from?" And then you see what it's coming out of, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Like, yeah, what is this? And that goes into one of my favorite things about Elden Ring too. Like, they got weird again. Yeah. Like, they brought back a lot of the weird stuff. Like. You'll see so many things in this game where you're like, oh, that's, oh, what? What is that? Um, Or things that seem normal and then suddenly they're not. Uh, They're doing something that, like, one of the first things I remember is in Limgrave, in the opening area, you find these goats. There's wildlife (laughs) around and there's these goats walking around and then you'll just kind of be hanging out. The goats are not aggressive. And then suddenly... They just roll away. Like they ball up like a Goron and roll away. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what the fuck? It is funny. It is funny. They do some really off the wall, unexpected things with those animations. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> there's enemies that do cartwheels. There's oh, yeah. just a there's so much and then like that's not even talking about the designs of some of the enemies where like I made noises like audible like said things out loud when some enemies popped up there's an enemy group called the vulgar militia which saying their (laughs) name is not a spoiler but people who played the game you know who the vulgar militia are when they popped up i laughed out loud at what was happening it (laughs) they just they really leaned into that weirdness in there in this game they'll gank you though oh yeah they'll get you yeah (laughs) and I'm sure like if if people are following Elden Ring stuff on social media and stuff like that, I'm sure they've seen lots of uh clips and uh some of the more famous like weird, scary, terrifying enemies. Uh there's a lot of weird stuff in here. Yeah, there were a lot of moments where you're just like 
what the heck am I looking at? And then yeah. when it, then when it moves, you're just like, okay, this is too much. This is too much. Yeah. There's another, just like uh, another thing, like that's if this feels different. That gives this game a different feel is the way that the visual design is, and the way that they use colors in this game, especially with something you'll notice about the game world that I don't want to spoil right now. But like, there's a and this is not what I said I wasn't going to spoil, but like there's the, the Erd tree that you're, you know, working toward and it's this giant glowing tree. And so like a lot of the world has this kind of golden filter on it. It feels like, and it makes you feel like, you know, you're inside of a painting sometimes um, in, especially in some of the outdoor areas. And then other areas get super visually distinct you're not just like going through a series of castles and stuff mm-hmm. that looks really similar or like, you know, I love Bloodborne, but it's nighttime the whole time in Bloodborne. So, or most of it. So like how much visual design, how much visual, you know, distinctiveness can some of these areas really have if it's, if it's 2 AM the entire game. Um, and in Elden Ring, the visual design is so different in some of these places. It really gives them all a different feel. Yeah. It leans into the fantasy of medieval fantasy. uh, And it has more room to explore that. I kind of wish the color was a little more saturated just for my personal taste, but it, Mm -hmm. I, I totally get what you're saying. It does look like it's all a wash in that golden glow. And it is a very unique feeling. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely took some liberties with uh, the fantasy side of things. It's not like you're moving from medieval area to medieval area. It, <laughs> right. it very much leans into just the unknown. And there, a lot of the older games were on like, you know, older systems. Mm-hmm. So when they did go for like super visually different areas, like, you know, the, how oh, what's it called? Um, Lost Isolith and Dark Souls 1 looks super different from the rest of the game but that it's like super super bright and i don't know there's another area similar to that in elden ring and i think it looks a lot better the mm-hmm. technology and artistic uh skill has just made these areas look really really good in every like i i can't think of any area in elden ring that i think looks like shit you know they all look really good to me yeah absolutely i would agree with that for sure yeah. All right, let's get into some final thoughts about Elden Ring. No spoilers. And guest always goes first. So, final thoughts. What do you think? What do you want people to know about Elden Ring after 2 plus hours of talking about it already? Uh, if it's not already something that's ingrained in your mind from what we've been saying, I enjoy this game. Uh I enjoy it a whole lot. It was worth the wait. I am probably going to catch a boatload of shit for this, but it's not my favorite from soft game. That's all right. Uh, my favorite from soft game is still the demon souls remake. And it's because I don't, I, I, I have a lot of fatigue when it comes to open world games. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, in general, this was the best open world I have ever explored, but I've just played so many and they are such a time sink that, by hour 50, as much as I love the environments and the inventiveness, it was like, all right, 
come on. Like, why do I have to spend five hours getting to the next main legacy dungeon? Like, if these things were just closer, it would be a lot easier. And and I, I always say there's a lot of benefits to having a streamlined experience. I know there are faults that people bring up with Demon Souls, but um, I, I just think having that hub world and everything easily accessible is is nice. There's a simplicity to that. There's less to figure out, less systems, to fewer systems to figure out in Demon's Souls. And, and there's a benefit to that. That being said, if anything we said entices you and you haven't already played Elden Ring, which would be a surprise, you 100% should. This game is worth everyone's time. And I, I do hesitate to say that because there are elements that appeal to veterans of FromSoft games, of Souls games specifically. But I think there are enough... We met, We talked for two hours about it. I think there's enough there to help you get through this. And if if you don't, ha- if you have any trouble figuring systems out or figuring anything out, use the internet. Use your friends. Use Twitter. Use whatever you want to use. And the means are there. There's so much on this game, and so many guides, and so many tips that you you will 100% be able to get through this game. Um, and I think, I think it's worth your time. I do think it helps a lot if you like from soft games and like souls games, but I don't think that not liking those games or not having played them in the past would exclude you from enjoying this one. Yeah. This is the this is the from soft game for like like I said earlier, this is the from soft game where more people are connecting with it. And I think it is because you do have a really awesome open world in here i i didn't say it earlier but i think this is the most engaging open world that i've ever played other than the first time i played morrowind or the first time i played breath of the wild it's that level of like you know what i want out of an open world is i want an interesting place to explore and i want to find interesting things when i do explore and this fucking nails it it's just it's such a good open world and there's going to be an episode soon on the show dedicated to talking about open world games, what we like, what we don't like, how does Elden Ring uh, fit that. So spoiler, little preview for that. I think Elden Ring is going to be a game that makes some companies reevaluate how they make open worlds, uh, or I hope so. Combat-wise, I think there's there's so many things that this game introduces that will help you create the level of difficulty that you want or help you um, adjust to the level of difficulty that the game gives you way more than From Software has done in the past. And for that reason, like if you don't hate From Software combat, but you thought the older games were too hard, you might be able to get through Elden Ring because there's so many things to help you. If you like, if you're think if you're thinking about buying Elden Ring and you're thinking like the one thing I really didn't like about FromSoft games in the past was I don't like how combat works, then this might not be for you because it, it's still basically the same. You have more tools, but it, at its core, it's the same thing it's always been. But I do like those things. And so I don't know if this has displaced Bloodborne as my favorite from soft game, but it's maybe it's 1A, 1B at this point. Like I, I think this is one of the best games I've ever played. Um, 
personal favorites aside, like those are, you know, personal things. I think like trying to be objective about this, I think every decision that they, most every decision that they made in this game, their stated goals to make an open world, to make a game that more people can beat and not lose that from software secret sauce. I think that's a success across the board. Yeah, objectively, this is a better game than the 2020 Demon Souls remake. Uh, <laughs> subjectively, I like that game more. Yeah, sure, and like I totally get the, I totally get what you're saying. Where you're like, I just I prefer a 25 hour tailored linear experience. I love the Demon Souls remake too. I totally get like, not everyone wants to play the same game for 95 hours, and mm-hmm. like. By the end of it, I was like, I'm uh, I'm ready to play something else. As much as I do like it, 95 hours is a really fucking long game. It's yeah. really long. And so, like, I know a lot of people who, like, they beat Elden Ring and they immediately started up another character and they're playing through another character and New Game Plus and all that. And I was like, by the end, I'm like, I'm not touching this game again for a long time. It's, I loved it, but I'm not, I mean, I don't replay games very often anyway but still like this is an experience and when it was over i'm happy to close the book on it for now but it was really really awesome yeah i don't know i mean so i did play it a little bit today (laughs) (laughs) but not to uh try to start a second playthrough or further the story or anything like that Uh, it was to overcome a certain obstacle okay but that being said i'm probably not picking this game up again for a long time, I very much sought out, you know, eight to ten hour experiences for the few mm-hmm. games I've played since since this, uh, and I probably will continue to seek out shorter experiences for a little while as well. Yeah, same here. It's gonna and it's gonna be a long time before I play another open world game. Yeah, I need to play some things that are pretty linear for a while. And well, people, <laughs> listeners of the show people are going to keep listening after the Elden Ring month is over, you're going to see some short, linear experiences coming up on the show because that's how I kind of detoxed from Elden Ring. (laughs) So (laughs) let's uh, do a little housekeeping before spoiler time. Uh, First thing I want to do is one more time, Ryan, tell people where they can find List Off Podcast. Sure. Uh, First, I want to say thank you again. Uh, I can't overstate how awesome it is to be a part of this episode of all episodes uh this game (laughs) is incredible i i know we were talking about playing it even months prior to it coming out and i think that's how this whole thing came to fruition so thank you again for the opportunity dave really appreciate that uh for list off we can be found anywhere you get your podcast if you google list off podcast we will come up but if you want to interact with us on social media, we're on Instagram at Listoff Podcast. We're on Twitter at Listoff underscore podcast. And we also have a TikTok now uh, mm-hmm. that I've been making videos for fairly regularly at Listoff Podcast. Yeah, and uh, we would really appreciate the follow on social media. We're always there. If you want to chat about Elden Ring or really any game, uh, we're there. Come find us. Cool. And again, another recommendation from me to check out the podcast uh it's one of the shows i listen to every week i'll always enjoy just listening to you guys go through the lists and uh again it's like my two biggest interests in life video games and lists uh as people know i have another show called a top three podcast where we do lists ours are top threes 
the Listoff boys are so good, they do top tens. Uh, something I couldn't even imagine, top threes. So, um, for me, if you would like to support Tales from the Backlog or a top three podcast, uh, best things to do, of course, as always, subscribe. If you've enjoyed the episode, leave a rating and or review if your podcast platform allows it. And uh, I have a Discord server. Come in and chat. We've got uh, lots of people in there talking about the game, other games that come up on the show, and of course, all sorts of other topics of discussion. We would love to have you in the Discord server. Check down in the show notes for the invite link, as well as my social media and uh, list off stuff too. We'll be down in the show notes. So we are going to take a break. When we come back, it's spoiler time for Elden Ring. All right, Ryan and I are back and it's time for spoilers for Elden Ring. And the first thing I kind of want to do is go through just kind of a series of memorable moments um, that like just really stuck out to me throughout the game. So mentioned that Tree Sentinel earlier. The first thing, this was like, this was crazy because, um, so you have that ambient music. We talked about the ambient music and I was just getting used to the fact that there is ambient music. But when the tree sentinel sees you and aggros, he doesn't come and attack right away. He just kind of sizes you up. And as he's sizing you up, the music goes away. And at the beginning of the tree sentinel boss track is just this kind of like silence with this increasing, like, I don't know how to describe this sound, but it's this kind of focusing on you, like tunnel vision, but sound. And then the, then he attacks and the music starts. And like that moment where the music cut away, I saw he was just staring at me and I was like, oh no, oh <laughs> no, what is about to happen here? Yeah, there are a few times <laughs> bosses kind of spot you and you're like, wait, is it looking at me? Is it, is it like, especially in the, the ones you run into the, in the open world, I should say. The Tree Sentinel is a perfect example of that. Uh, very good foreboding feeling. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they execute it really, really well there, especially with the musical bits for sure. Yeah. Did you get teleport trapped into Kaled? Uh, yeah, I did. So that's kind of what I was referring <laughs> to earlier when yeah. I started the game, and it was some of the most difficult encounters I've ever had in a Souls game because I ran into the Tree Sentinel, and I'm like, okay, not going to mess with him. A side note: the destructive environments are yeah new and very cool like pieces mm -hmm. of ruins falling off around you yeah. if these things attack them i thought that was really really neat yeah when you fight that dragon it's it's taking down trees left and right mm -hmm. really feels like you're fighting a dragon yeah it feels very emergent and anytime you're kind of ducking in a ruins around a larger enemy they are going to be knocking chunks of those ruins down it's it's super mm -hmm. a very very cool effect yeah. So anyway, I I leave the tree sentinel. Which way do I go? Well, I'll head to the south. Looks like there's a lake there. Yeah. Uh yeah, boom, dragon, right? Well, I'm not going to mess with that thing. Uh so I'll go check out these ruins nearby. I'm like, "Oh, this is perfect. There are all these really low-level enemies. Let me take them out." 
find a little little basement. In that basement is a treasure chest. Guess what? It's a trap. Send you to Caleb. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> it doesn't even like you don't know where you are at that point in the game. You just know you're trapped in these mines with everything that is a much higher level and can kill you very easily. It took me I want to say an hour to get out of there until I learned I could literally just run out of there past mm-hmm. everything and there's no penalty for it. I went trying to fight everything, which was the complete wrong approach. Uh but yeah, yeah. that that was a really crappy way to start the game, I think. Yeah, and you also get like when you get teleported into that place, your first instinct is to check check your map. And so mm-hmm. you'll open up the map and you'll realize that you are like way way out of like how big you thought the map was when that happened. Mm-hmm. So that happened to me too. And I was like, holy shit, how big is this game? That was the first of my great plateau moments um, in this game. And then you finally make it out of that mine. You come out and everything, It's you're in that swamp in Kaled. And so you come out and you're like, what is wrong with this place? Yeah. It's like everything's like red and gross. And then you go fight. There's like a, a there's one of those big, flower looking enemies out Mm -hmm. there those big like pods that shoot scarlet rot and i tried to go fight it i got killed immediately and then but i had found a point of grace by that point i was able to teleport back uh to limgrave but like yeah that was uh just insane and that happened to me a few more times the first time i found patches i got teleported uh away that was a funny moment finding patches for the first time too because i didn't know I guess I should have assumed Patches would be in here. Patches isn't in Sekiro, though, so I didn't know if they were, like, done with Patches. P- Patches is in here a few times. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's he's a uh, he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve in this game. Oh, for sure. I was actually had in my... I, I wanted to bring up Patches, so did you kill or spare Patches? I spared him. First mm-hmm. of all, I thought it was hilarious that Patches jumped down and fought you, and he has a boss health bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. that made me laugh uh i spared him because i figured that if patches is in the game there's going to be something to it and i mm-hmm. should see it so i didn't kill him and uh well before i go on you go ahead with your experience no, with I, patches i spared him as well the the <laughs> okay. whole boss fight thing was funny and then you get him down to halfway and he's like oh wait wait hold on like let's make a yeah. deal typical patches fashion right yeah Classic patches, and then uh, if you summon patches in in the Radon fight, he he will run away immediately. It'll yeah. say like patches has returned to his world, and I had that like you know Seinfeld and Newman thing where I was like, oh, for patches, sure. dick. Did um, you follow the <laughs> the stones as well in uh, over by Volcano Manor? I did uh, yeah. because as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, that's because they lead you to that's a Bloodborne. Clip. Yeah, it's Bloodborne. Yeah, and I was yeah. I was like, yeah, that happened in Bloodborne and Patches kicks you off a cliff. So yep. I did that. Um Patches has another thing where he'll tell you like a secret entrance into Volcano Manor uh, by getting kidnapped by the Iron Maiden enemies. Did you talk to him about that? But he tells you it'll take you somewhere else, doesn't he? It's uh no, he tells you it's a secret entrance to Maybe he doesn't say it'll take you to Volcano Manor. He, he says it'll you... take you to like the base of the Erd Tree or something. Oh, maybe. Is that and, it? And it takes you to Volcano Manor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because yeah. Patches is actually working for uh, for them there. Yeah. But yeah. So I didn't know like 
should I trust Patches? Is he telling me the truth on like this teleporter that I can use? So, but you know, again, death, death doesn't really matter in these games. So I decided to go take him for his word. And that was very funny that it actually did take you into the prison area in Volcano Manor. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts when you first found the, uh, the river well areas and you rode the world's longest elevator? That was, and still is probably one of the largest, like, holy shit moments in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just seeing that whole underground world unfold in front of you as you're going down was incredible. Uh, Had major Blackreach vibes from Skyrim heading into that area. Do you remember Blackreach with, like, the glowing mushrooms? And it almost looked like you were underground looking at the night sky. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I think there was even a dragon in that area. And it just kind of, it, it seemed like, and I don't know if it was, you know, an homage to Skyrim in any way, but it definitely felt that way. Man, what a perfect example of how wondrous this game could be. Yeah. Yeah, it that was wild. Like, first of all, you're on an elevator that is so long, it made me think, like, there was something wrong with the game. Mm-hmm. And then you get down there and you step out and you're way underground. You have a totally different map screen if you open your map. And you look up and see a sky full of stars, but you're clearly underground. That was wild. And then you step out and there's all these spirits down there fighting you. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I went through this thing of like, holy shit, this map is so big. Is there an, is this underground map the same size, just underground? And it's not. It's like, you know, a fifth of the size or something like that. But it's there's so much underground content in here. It's wild. It, some of the coolest content was underground. I think this game excels yeah. uh, visually when it's underground. Yeah, those are some of the best looking areas for sure. Um, and... That I guess that leads into another one of my like super memorable things. So after you fight Radon and the star falls, mm-hmm. and I'm I was doing Ronnie's quest, so I knew I had to like follow the star and go underground. Right. And it just keeps going. And I, I just had this like some of like the best the most joy I've had in a video game was following this star and it just keeps going. And it's like I beat this level. There's another level. And I'm like, how far does this thing go? And I just kept going. And it's like, it's like 10 hours of like nonstop, just new level, new level, getting another coffin, go down another waterfall of blood, you know? Yeah. It yeah. just keeps going until you fight. Um, I think that's where you fight Estelle, uh, the, the natural born, the, the big, you know, mm-hmm. insect looking thing. Cr- crazy. Yeah, and so that was the culmination of like these 10 or 15 hours of just exploring forever. Found the Mimic tier down there, mm-hmm. uh, did all this other stuff. Um, I mean, I found the I, the item I needed for Ronnie, I found that way before I got to the end of that path. Mm-hmm. And yeah, all those coffin rides down waterfalls. <laughs> all, the, yeah, all the little ant riders down there too, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> That was a very funny. I I remember seeing them and being like, "Is that thing riding? A, let me get out my telescope or whatever." Yes, it is. It's riding on top of an ant. 
Yeah, it was a good place to farm what's needed for the um, reclass too. That you yeah. that you can do, but uh, I mm-hmm. actually never really did that. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's why I'm running into so many problems with a particular <laughs> boss. That was but, one thing. This is the one for this episode, Ryan. The uh, should have mentioned this in the non-spoiler section that you can respec like almost as many times as you want to, and it's pretty early in the game. And so I respect maybe three times, one time to like change my build and then a couple times to kind of take some points away that I didn't need from something and put it in something else, you know? Yeah, I just, I knew the option was there and I knew I could take advantage of it. I really liked my build though. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed playing that way. Um, I will say if we're going over memorable moments, <laughs> Just one thing I absolutely have to bring up is walking into Karia Manor and just yeah. being like, what the fuck are these things? These giant hands attacking oh, the you. hand thing. Because you walk oh. in and there's no enemies right away. There's right. like nothing waiting at the front door for you. And then you walk in and yeah, it's real quiet. And then suddenly those hands burst out of the ground. And I, same thing. I was like, I think I said, what the fuck? Like out loud when I yeah. was playing. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife was sitting next to me and I definitely said that out loud. And then I ran and the whole time I'm running, I'm I'm turning and saying like, look at this, look at what's on screen. What the heck is this thing? Like, why yeah. is it? A, why is there a giant hand attacking me? And that was the first time the vulgar militia attacked me. I, I actually saved a video of this, but there was an item on like an overturned like cart out in the open world. And then suddenly there's smoke bombs and there's little dudes going like <laughs> and attacking me. It was so funny. I love those little fuckers. Yeah. Yeah. Very lovable little, uh, little bastards. I think I texted you about this like when I first found it, but I was dancing around it really heavily. But like when I found round table hold mm-hmm. in, um, in the real game, mm-hmm. uh, that was really cool. Really cool. So yes, you, you did message me about it. You were dancing around it. I think I hadn't found it at the time. I think I was like a day behind you on that one. Okay. Uh, cause we did end up messaging about it after I had discovered it. And, um, yeah, really, really cool. Really surprising. Reminded me of, you know, Bloodborne again, uh, finding the hunter's dream in real life in Bloodborne. Yeah. Same with Dark Souls 3. There's another one of those in Dark mm-hmm. Souls 3. And yeah, it was re- I like, I don't have a great indication, unlike Bloodborne, I don't have a great indication for what it was used for in the real world in, uh, in Elden Ring. Like, was it just this? building with you mm-hmm. know important people doing important stuff you know i don't know what was going on there i didn't initially realize it either because i came in on that ground floor which is just a big hall and i'm like oh okay, right here's another building to explore and then eventually as you find the second floor you're like oh wait a minute like i recognize mm-hmm. this yeah yeah because if you're doing the volcano manor quest uh, it will take you in there for some um invasions mm-hmm. uh, to uh to go in the bottom floor which it's it's good. I don't know. Kind of smart. They make you come in from a different entrance from where you usually did roundtable hold, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, I went in that side room where all the fruit and stuff was, and I I like legit recognized that room, and I was like, oh, oh these funny. shelves, 
those pears look suspicious. Where have <laughs> I seen them before? Uh, so yeah, yeah, that was good. What else you got? Memorable stuff. I think I'm surprised we didn't message mention this in the the non spoiler section, but maybe it's better off here. Uh, I will never forget the first time I read certain messages left by other players. Oh yeah, like. Obviously, they're memed now and they're played out, but the first time you read, you know, this is before the meme. I was playing this day one, so when I read, like, try fingers, butthole, that's had me chuckling, you know, uh, <laughs> Fortnite, like, I was yeah. laughing. Yeah, it wasn't the meme, it is now. Um, yeah, there are just so many, oh, you don't have the right, oh, you don't have the right, you don't have yeah. the, you know. And yeah, now it's it's done and played out, but... um the first time you come across those messages, man, they were, they yeah. made me giggle. I definitely got trolled by some of those, like in front of a door that say like, try gesturing. I, yeah. I spent too much time gesturing before I realized like, okay, this isn't working. I left a couple of messages, uh, like in those first couple of days, uh, that were like, kind of got kind of caught on, uh, and mm -hmm. got raided a bunch of times. Um, one of them, this is a memorable moment too. Uh, after you beat Rikard, the boss of Volcano Manor, did you go back into the room and see what was yeah. going on in there? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. So for people listening, if you didn't do that, uh, the boss of Volcano Manor, Rikard, this big snake guy, and then the kind of head of Volcano Manor, the, the, the leader is this woman, I forget her name, uh, and she gives you your quests to go kill all mm. those tarnished. And if you beat, if you go back into the room, um, after you beat Rikard and after you talk to her, skip ahead a few minutes if you don't want to be spoiled because this is worth seeing. Like, open yeah. up your game, go look at it right now. But skip ahead, okay? Now, when you go back in and she is eating him, just eating his like remains in there, and she talks about how like he was eaten by a snake and he was hoping to absorb the power. So she is going to now eat him and hope to like continue this thing. And it, there's this very visceral and gross sound effect that's going on. I, that was another one where I was like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Lady Tanith. Um, that's her name. Right. And she's just like eating out of the wound in his head. It's really, yeah. <laughs> really gnarly. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's super gross. Yeah, very very gross. Uh, Rykard, though, man, what a what a good line. He's like, "Hey, like I'll consume you, and together we'll defeat the gods. Like yeah. we'll, cons we'll consume the gods. It sounds great, right?" You make it. It's a pretty tempting offer, you know. Like yeah. he's a giant snake, and he's like, "Yeah, you let me eat you. We'll we'll kill the gods together." And I was like, "Hmm." Well, I usually say yes to everybody in FromSoft games, right? <laughs> Counter offer, no. But anyway, I left a message there. Um, that just says love ahead right in front of her eating it because I was like if that's not true love then true love doesn't exist on this planet so fair. that was fun yeah. fair fair Man, that realization was wild yeah that, that was, was what she was doing <laughs> I, I don't think I would have gone back there uh, unless you had urged me I think you you mentioned it in your discord actually where you had said like oh you, if you haven't gone back after defeating the boss you got to and I, yeah, I did I think on, I just message to everybody hey psa if you haven't gone back just go back trust me yeah it was worth it it was worth <laughs> it 
another moment was finding the hidden Stormvale Castle basement. Oh yeah, with the tree because that's the first ulcerated tree spirit you find, or probably mm-hmm. the first one you find that's down in the basement. Yeah, yeah, and I there's really no you could spend hours exploring Stormvale, and I think this was the realization as to how great these legacy legacy dungeons are. Uh, after spending hours exploring the rooftops and various other parts of Stormvale Castle, right, there was a moment where it's like, hey, wait a minute, there's a basement. It was, yeah totally blew my mind that i had been there for three hours probably at that point and literally never knew there was a basement yeah and then you find that that little head thing down there mm-hmm. which is uh was it i think it's godwin um right the golden you the get first a, casualty right of the right, story you, yeah you get some item description about how this is like the body of godwin and i was like well i don't know who godwin is but that's pretty gnarly yeah. looks super looks super gross um yeah yeah that was and that was another one of these moments where i was like how far does this thing go because stormvale castle is just so big even without that basement and then i you got to do some platforming and you know really poke around to even find that basement area and then and i've seen a bunch of people on twitter post their videos and stuff like that and everyone has that same reaction of like what the fuck did i just find down here like what's going on here yeah, yeah, it's a natural reaction for sure, given the situation. Another cool realization, and this isn't a realization I made on my own, so I won't take credit for it, but you get to the Erd tree, the Erd tree turns you away, right? And this is where it, it shifts, and uh, Melina, who's your companion, tells you to burn the Erd tree. And I was <laughs> like, well, I guess we're burning the Erd tree. Like, again, say yes to everybody, right? So that was cool. And then later I learned through uh, Vadi Vidya or Bonfire Side Chat or something like that, that the Erd tree is a parasite. And mm-hmm. you can learn this through item descriptions, that there was another great tree and the Erd tree is a parasite that kind of took it over, stole everything from it. The old tree is decrepit and um yeah not not in good shape if it's even alive at all at this point and so that was really cool and it's a classic from software thing that like the thing you think this is like an yggdrasil type you know world tree the source of all life but it's actually this giant parasite that was a very cool thing yeah i thought so too so i did watch that vadi video uh same one <laughs> uh which went over like those laws of nature right the two conflicting laws of nature and how the earth tree represents one and i don't know teflon man you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> but same. uh yeah i did think that was a cool realization i uh, i did have a moment leading up to the i think i actually went to that point prior to you because i do remember messaging you and saying hey have you been to the earth tree yet like you should go there um, mm-hmm. because I went into it thinking, oh, like, man, I didn't expect this is the end of the game. I'm here. This is oh, it. Yeah, same. And surprise, you're not. Uh, but you're no longer maidenless. Your maiden comes back uh-huh. with the with the best of intentions. And um, that's when I, I had a feeling you might have been avoiding the Erd Tree, thinking it was the end of the game. Yep. So I was like, man, you should go check it out. I really, I'm really <laughs> glad. I, I think it, you would have ended up there eventually anyway, right? Just from because it kind of opens up the remainder of the game after that moment. 
Yeah. So like my thing in open world games is I will always explore the open world as much as I want to before I do the next legacy dungeon in this case, right? So I got to the point where it was like, you can go to the capital region or you can explore all of Altus Plateau and all of Kaled. So that's what I did. I like fully explored all of that stuff before I even went into the capital. Yeah. So, uh, screw Kaled. It is the area <laughs> I spent the least amount of time in, and that was very intentional. I didn't want to spend any time there. Partially the music, partially the environments. I was just like, you know what? Let me do what I have to do and and go somewhere else. <laughs> partially the T Rex dogs. Yeah, definitely, and the T Rex <laughs> buzzards. Yeah, it was good times, man. Kaled's a blast. I I fully explored Kaled, but I was on edge the entire time. Like I was never comfortable. Uh, exploring i did a lot of running past enemies on torrent uh, in caled yeah um there's a bunch of like weird stuff in there um, there's like a hill of dragons like a hill full of them yeah with a big one on the t- at the top of the hill i was like yeah just gonna run right past this yeah and by the time i i found that place i um had seen the video that told you about how to kill the dragon and get like you know hundreds of thousands of souls for free so i did that got some free level ups there's like that fort next to it with all those uh like bat siren type enemies yeah. inside that was really hard it's like one of the hardest little like forts in the game yeah, it's tiny too but i know exactly yeah. which one you're talking about thank goodness you could summon in there yeah yeah I was under leveled for it, so like even my mimic tier was just getting thrashed in there. Um let's see. I guess the last like super memorable thing that I wrote down um is in the final boss, and I don't like the final boss, but how the final boss uses the menu music in the final boss, uh like in the fight, like kind of remixed, was yeah. like really cool. I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, that is very, very cool. I do like that final boss music, for sure. Uh, the one thing I kind of alluded to earlier with uh, a certain character being... I was being convinced it was written by George R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. For me, it was Radon. Uh, I think there are very clear parallels to the mountain from A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, okay. I see. Uh, kind of with the mountain dying, right? And Radon basically dies, but the mountain right. comes... The spoiler alert for Song of Ice and Fire, if you care yeah. about that. Yeah. But uh, so they revive the mountain, and he's very much this like undead thing just going through the motions of life. And that's right. exactly what happens to Radon as well. And they're both the strongest warrior archetype, right? Uh, they're both undone by these slow rots after being infected by... A, a smaller speedier opponent so i just yeah. thought there were very clear parallels there that's true i really liked the this is the only boss that i know a ton of the lore about um partly because radon is such a famous boss from the game and people are talking about radon more than they're talking about you know godric or something like that mm-hmm. but i like the story i like the you know I like that he learned to use gravity magic so he wouldn't crush his tiny little horse. And then I like how in the opening, 
like the tr- not the not the opening cutscene, the trailer, like the first trailer that they showed for Elden Ring showed Millennia and pa- really painted Millennia as a possible like hero type, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And she is one of the worst villains in the entire game. She's the reason why Kaled is so fucked. Yeah. And just that whole story about Radon, you know, basically going hollow in Dark Souls terms and all of Radon's like generals and friends throwing this festival for someone to come finally kill him and put him down and give him a warrior's death was uh was pretty cool. Yeah, it is funny. The trailer definitely made it seem like Millennio was the 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 side of good in that fight. Right. Whereas I would argue it was definitely Radon. Guy was holding yeah. back the cosmos, you know, kind of a big deal. Well, they're both I don't know if either of them is like good. Right. But right. Millennia is definitely evil. Like yeah. the thing that she did is a truly evil thing. Absolutely. This is a good time to talk about. Um, did you end up beating Millennia? Well, that's what I came back to play today. Uh, spent about an hour and a half playing. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> it, it hurts to say this. Uh, about an hour and a half playing it. And no, I have not beaten Millennia. Uh, I should probably respec and give it another shot, but uh, man, oof. Um, so this is the bane of my existence. Yeah, maybe the most infamous From Software boss. Like, I can't think of another From Software boss that more people are like, man, this is so hard. So, and I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm at a loss. I'm like level 130 something. You know, I have tried multiple times with my mimic tier. I've tried multiple times with summoning people and it's just like she has some terribly punishing basically one shot moves um and if yeah. somebody doesn't pull that aggro away from you you are you're going to die so number 1 I think you're too low level really uh, 130 I, I fought, something I fought her at about level 170 wow I beat the game around level 175. She was one of the last things I did uh, before I went and fought the final bosses. Um, yeah, I think you should give yourself like 20 more level ups, I think. Okay. Um, the way I did it was with my Mimic tier. And like I said, I was doing guard counter for like the whole game. And I had to put the shield away for Millennia, just not not happening. So the way I did it is I was using Moonveil, which has bleed on it, and I also had an Ice Uchigatana, which has frost and bleed. And frost uh lowers defense when frostbite mm. hits. And so I was dual wielding these two katanas, and my mimic tier was dual wielding these two katanas. And the so like that that healing gimmick that millennia has i don't like it i don't think that it's i think it's pretty unfair but the like the the thing that makes her doable is that she doesn't have a ton of health and she staggers pretty you you can stun lock her pretty easily so it just took a lot of like practice spacing with my mimic tier to get her like up against a wall and Mm -hmm. just stun lock her bleed 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 frostbite bleed bleed and i have a video that I'll probably post it um, sometime this month as we're doing Elden Ring stuff. But I have a video 
her first phase, my mimic tier and I beat in like 20 seconds. Like we just, this was the time we got her stun locked real well. That first phase went down. Um, that waterfowl dance, the big, you know, yeah. slashy, slashy hornet from Hollow Knight. That's a, with the, um, yeah. the comparison. There's a, there's a dodge timing for it that people have figured out, but I just like, as soon as I saw her jump in the air, I would just run away and you can get out of it kind of regularly doing that. But the time that I beat her, she just didn't use that attack. So I did get kind of lucky there. And then the second phase, you have to learn to dodge that dive bomb attack, which I did by just running straight. Mm -hmm. Because if you run off to the side or if you stay where you are, she'll dive down into the center and then like zip over to you and then explode, right? Mm -hmm. If you just run straight, the AI will say, oh, it's right under you. I don't need to zip, just dive. But by the time she dives, you're already run past and you can get like one dodge roll and get out of it. And then I use the uh, Wondrous Physic with Comet Azure uh, and my Mimic Tier held aggro and basically melted down her second phase. And uh, I don't feel bad about it because it took me like 35 tries to get that far. (laughs) I can get to the second phase pretty consistently, but uh, yeah, she like, my Mimic Tier is just like, you know, Leroy Jenkins and, uh, <laughs> and just gets rot all over him and dies within yeah. seconds. And then I'm like, oh, she's looking at me now. This is bad. Yeah. Anytime she turns and looks at you, you're like, oh, no, I'm sorry, ma'am. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Right. right. And there were a lot of tries I did with other human players, which people who are like helping for Millennia are often specced just for that fight with a bunch of bleed mm-hmm. stuff or weapons that can like pancake her, but she just has so much health that I was never able to beat her with other players. And it turned out that mimic tier was the best, the what the best way to go for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I've had better luck with my mimic tier than, than summoning people. It's too bad. You're not playing on PC. So you're not able to get, um, let me solo her in there. Oh, right. Legend. Absolute legend. Yeah. <laughs> He really is like that, or she really is. It's, it's something else. Yeah, I think it's a he. I it's, uh, read a couple of interviews, like IGN did an interview with them. Oh, wow. So yeah. Anyway, um, I watched the video too. That was just wild. Like, didn't get touched by Millennia so, the whole time. Something to behold for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, any other favorite bosses that you thought were really good? Yeah. So with other favorite, first of all, Millennia. <laughs> Not even near my favorite Not boss. Not on your list. <laughs> Not on my list. Uh, yeah, so other favorite bosses. I do like Radon um, a lot. I know he's kind of a gimmick boss, but it just had the great lore, and it felt so epic to like yeah. ride into battle and amass this army of compatriots to take him mm-hmm. down. It felt like this was a challenge that you needed the whole team for, and you were bringing the boys, and like, let's get them. Fuck was, you, Patches. Yeah. Yeah, except for Patches. Exactly. Uh, but that that was cool. I really liked that, like storming the mountaintop and and dodging bullets the whole way up. It it really felt like um, almost like Normandy, right? Like when you play those Medal of Honor games and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also I do like Rikard. Uh, no, he's yeah. a gimmick boss, but the spectacle of Rikard is probably the best out of any boss in the game. Together. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. And, and that mid, uh, that that second phase, right? That transition into the second phase is just like it's bonkers, bonkers. Mm-hmm. And um, they they did that gimmick fight a little bit better than like it's way better than Dark Souls Three had that same type of gimmick fight. Um, I like it in Demon Souls more than Dark Souls Three, but I like Rikard better than the other two for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I do like the Demon Souls one as well, though. Uh, and then I think I, if I had to pick a favorite, it's actually Godfrey, the first Elden Lord slash Horalu, because Hora it Lou, is yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When like when you fight Godfrey, and I one tried this boss, uh, and nice. it was like yeah it still didn't subtract from the impact he had because he makes that transition halfway through where he just like guts his lion all over himself. And he's like, now I will face you as Horalu warrior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and takes this like big goofy stance. And now he's but, this like, he's like this professional wrestler now. Right. Exactly. He's, and you're gonna, you're like, probably going to get hit like at the beginning of the fight. He'll grab you and like power bomb you into exactly. the ground. It yeah. is like it all of a sudden turned into like WWE 2K22, and this guy <laughs> is like coming off the top rope to leg drop you. It is so crazy to have yeah. that transition happen. Uh, it was yeah. cool. It was really cool. And I want to give a special shout out to Renala, who you actually co-opt with me because I was a right. magic build. Um, she has uh, high defense against magic. Right. And um, but I wanted to give her a shout out because she gives off some serious Demon Souls meets Bloodborne vibes. Like that first phase is almost straight out of Demon Souls. Almost reminds me oh, so right. much of the the Fool's Idol. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the Bloodborne second phase was the arena was like rom right the vacuous spider comes to mind and yeah 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 visually visually striking for sure yeah um yeah yeah, i think all right i really like millennia as a fight to learn she's just that healing is it that healing without the healing thing just give her like you know 25 percent more hp and not let her heal herself and I would have really liked that fight, like a lot. It would have been a, would have been an, in my top three. Um, I could agree with that for sure. Yeah, um, I yeah, I really like Radon and Rikard. Those are definitely in my top three. Um, and uh, I guess the other thing, sorry, uh, earlier I said Moog in the capital. That's Morgot. Mm-hmm. Moog is in my top three. The Lord of Blood. Um, yeah. Woo for some like really insane spectacle like there's blood flying everywhere the arena's crazy um and then he has those couple of attacks that like will just proc bleed on you over and over again and you just have to like estus heal through those really really like that one and um yeah horalu just for like as much comedy as these games could have like that fight is legit hilarious like, it is. when he starts doing professional wrestling moves on you. Yeah. He like rips his shirt off a la Hulk Hogan too. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's so good. Yeah. It's so like, good. He, like he's a, like he's in a Yakuza game or something. He yeah, rips the his stance. shirt off. We're ready to fight now. Right. Yeah. He's like, brother, <laughs> you ready for Horalu? Yeah. I'm going to give it to you. You're not ready for this. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. He's yeah, that one was funny. Uh, unfortunately, right after that is my least favorite boss in the game, which is the last boss. Um, partly because they make you fight them back to back. Like if you fight Radagon and then get a resting point and then go fight the Elden Beast, I would have been okay. But you have to fight both of them back to back. And I think Radagon, I just couldn't figure him out. He's mm-hmm. one of the hardest bosses in the game for me. Couldn't figure him out. Um, Mimic Tear did not help. Like he would routinely kill me and my Mimic Tear. Like, mm-hmm. so that one sucked. And then, well, first of all, what do you think about Radagon? I think Radagon on his own would have been a great boss. I think it's that first form, right? Radagon himself right. was, I think it was like a perfect amount of challenge for that stage of the game. But like you said, to have it back to back with uh, the Elden Lord was just too much. And it was, that was the frustrating part of this fight for me. I can make it through Radagon by the skin of my teeth most times, but then to have that, that fight immediately after where it just tanks. I, I don't even know what its total HP count is, but it has to be astronomical because when you hit mm-hmm. it, it does next to nothing. And then it just retreats to the other side of the arena, which is a huge arena. And you have to yeah. cover all that distance. And if you don't have your Mimic Tier from the first phase, then you could just basically forget it. You are not going to get through that second one. It's a lot to have those two back-to-back. It is definitely too much. One, of, I, I, I think it was such an insane ramp in difficulty. I, I came off one trying, Horalu. Right. I was like, I got this. I do not have it. I did not have it. I was nowhere <laughs> near having it. It, it sucked. Yeah, I I really so like Radagon is really hard, and I I kind of agree. Like, um, if they were separated, I I maybe could have found the fun in learning his moves and stuff like that. But in the back of my head, I was always thinking like, oh, you got hit, you just wasted a flask. You're gonna need that for the Elden Beast fight. Mm-hmm. Like you're fucking up. And yep. they did this in Sekiro too. Sekiro has back to back bosses at the end. But the difference in Sekiro is that the first one is incredibly easy. And it's like, story stuff, yeah. It, it's there for story. Um, so, but it, And it's still annoying that you have to do it every time in that game too. But it's easy. Radagon's really hard. And so I would die against Radagon way more times than I beat him and actually got to the Elden Beast. But then if I got to the Elden Beast... I didn't have many flasks. My mimic tier was dead. So I, and then like you said, it hops around the arena so much. This would have been a perfect thing to let you ride torrent for. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you can't ride torrent in the final boss, but I ended up summoning um, another player who was dual wielding colossal swords. And that person just aced the final boss. And I just kind of like helped when I could but this uh this per- I just summoned in a ringer who just destroyed the final boss by themselves. So oh, that's something else. Yeah, that was helpful. But yeah, that's that's the only one in the the whole game where I can say like I really don't like this. Uh Malaketh is a lot too. I don't really like Malaketh, but like it's not as it's not it's not as bad as the final boss cuz Malaketh doesn't have 40 million HP like mm-hmm. the final boss does. 
I liked Malekith actually, but uh, I I didn't like Melania. It was really Melania and the final boss. I'm not proud of how I beat the final boss, but I did it. Uh, you could cheese the first phase. You could cheese Radagon by immediately running to him and stun stunning him. So he can't basically if you run to his left side, uh, as soon as it's the picture's fading in from the cutscene, mm-hmm. you'll he'll freeze. Uh, now the problem is if you hit him. He will unfreeze, but you can spam poison, uh, and oh, I had a, a okay. poison spell, and if, it takes a long time to get <laughs> through that first phase. I mean, it takes a good 10 to 15 minutes to just have him unmoving and do that, but then you get to approach the second phase with a full mimic tier and everything, so luckily, I didn't have to do it more than once, but I'm yeah, not... that's yeah. fair. Yeah. I mean... It was, I wanted to see the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, do what you got to do. I remember those, uh, the double tree sentinel fight outside the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, I cheesed the fuck out of them uh, by like standing in a place that they couldn't reach me and just like shooting them with spells and arrows. And once they like broke their aggro and would start to trot away, I would run up and smack them a couple times and then run back to my safe place. Like, fuck them. I don't feel bad. <laughs> Get right. that's kind of one of my one of my lessons from years and years of playing FromSoft games is like, just get through it. However you can, it's mm-hmm. a game. Nothing, none of this really matters in real life. Yeah. Well, that's how I felt about <laughs> it. I'm like, dude, I'm just some unnamed tarnished. You're, you're like, a, <laughs> yeah. the, you're like the God. Yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a person of honor. I don't even right. have a name. <laughs> right. I have to take the, the opportunities given to me. I should say another boss. I liked, like once I came back and was powerful enough, I really like fighting Margit. It's a fun fight. Mm-hmm. I feel and like Godric too. Godric was real fun. Yeah. Oh, Godric was real good for sure. Um, and Margit as well. And then the one that you Mar what's Margot Margot Morgot Morgot. Yeah. I mean, who at knows the, uh, at this point at the throne. Yeah, Marge. Uh, I thought that was a cool one too. Uh, See, yeah, Morgot. Morgot. Morgot, I did the, uh, I fought the first phase with my mimic tier. Mm-hmm. And then I did the drink the flask and use the comet Azur thing. So mm-hmm. Morgot died while he was talking during his cutscene or during his phase change. So I never really saw the second phase. Uh, but yeah, I don't feel bad. Fucking. Yeah. If I, I'll, I'll play this game again sometime and I'll just do like a, a no comet Azur run and that'll be right. a challenge in itself. I feel like I could have used that spell, and I obviously knew it it was part of the meta, if if you can call it that. And right. but like I don't know, I had my fun. I really wanted to use a lot of dragon spells for the spectacle of those, and I'm yeah. glad I did. And like that's my next. Pl- I have my next character created. I went and killed the giant dragon and got all those level ups, and I have a character that's ready for a strength and faith uh, build. I just don't want to play Elden Ring right now, so I'm not going to do it. I'll do it some other time. Yeah, I get that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, any other, any favorite legacy dungeons now that we can just talk freely about those? Yeah, Stormvale is up there for me. Uh, it's definitely in my top three. I think Rhea Lucaria I really liked as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite is the Royal Capital. Uh, it's so I, good. It is 
so so good it's probably the best in any from soft game in my opinion especially when you get into the sewers and the whole that whole area of the city is the legacy dungeon um Mm -hmm. and there's just so many places to explore and so much to see and so many ways that it loops back on itself in in the best from soft fashion yeah it's phenomenal yeah the capital would be in my top three also. And that's not even counting the sewers, which are like crazy. Like that's another one of like one of the best ones they've ever done. It, that mm-hmm. one's really good too. Um, Yeah, sewers are great. I'm a big fan of, well, in the capital, like one of my favorite things is they have those enemies that are blowing the, the horns, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, I thought that was the soundtrack of the capital. But oh. I actually went and listened to like the the soundtrack on YouTube, and that's not. It's just enemy music, enemy sounds playing into the the vibe of the entire area. Wow. And that was like crazy to find out. Um, another one of my favorites is the Halig Tree. I really love that level. It's real hard, but I like yeah. it a lot. I think the design of the Halig Tree is super, super cool, for sure. Um it got a little tricky with some of the traversing elements in that first part. Yeah, on the uh, on the big tree branches and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I felt like they were trolling you. Like, here's an enemy that will cause you knockback right on this part <laughs> of the tree that where it's at its thinnest, and it was like, all right, yeah, yeah. yeah they they do get you a little bit like that. Um, another then I guess my other two favorites, Stormvale. We talked about Stormvale's crazy just how big it is and how it keeps going in all these different directions. And then you have the rooftops and all that. And then uh volcano manor. I had a great time exploring that. Like, and like, I think we said this before, but I don't think I could point to any of these legacy dungeons and say that I think they're bad. Like they're all so good, but um yeah, those are the most memorable ones. The capital is probably my favorite. Yeah, the ones I will say I didn't enjoy, it, it's not really a legacy dungeon, but I do think Red Main Castle, where R- the Radon Festival is, is kind of a cop-out. There's not really yeah. anything there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also don't like Kaled in general. Um, <laughs> and if you consider it a legacy dungeon, the Lake of Rot was terrible. Oh, I don't consider that a legacy dungeon, but I do agree with you that that was not very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And the audacity of them to put a boss fight out in the middle of the Lake of Rot made me laugh, but I also didn't fight that thing. I saw it oh. and I was like, I'm not doing this. Good, well played from soft, but I'm not doing this. I did it. So you can like raise platforms in there, um, right? which yeah. helps, but uh, I, I did it. I was like, yeah, all right, I'll find another one of these things. <laughs> What what do you think about the repeating boss fights? Did that ever start to like wear you down? No, I think they were cool. Like they they weren't there was so much in between them that it was never oh, here's another one of these guys again. You know, it does the classic FromSoft thing as well where here's an enemy that was once a boss and now it's just an enemy in your way. Right. Uh that mm-hmm. happens in the Halleck tree actually a few times. Um, and I always like when they do that because it makes you feel that much more powerful. Like, oh, these guys are just minor obstacles now, and it makes you feel like a total badass at that point in the game. Yeah, yeah. I the only thing, the only time I started to not like it was like 
the seventh or eighth time I fought one of the ulcerated tree spirits, I was like, okay, I'm kind of tired of these things. Like, they're easy now. It takes me 10 seconds to beat one, but I'm tired of them, you know? And they give you golden seeds when you beat them, but I maxed out my golden seeds hours ago, so I don't need this. Yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, so. Yeah, any other memorable moments, bosses, levels, anything like that? Uh, gosh, what was it? Um, when you, when you go underground, I think that really stands out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't think of the name of the area now. And then when you find different, cause like you'll go underground and you'll see other areas of it that you can't access it, mm-hmm. that you can't access. And then when you find the entrance to that area that like loops back to the place you were in before and you're like, holy shit, like, yeah, a lot of, just a lot of moments like that where they'll like plant this seed of curiosity and then you'll get a payoff 30 hours later. Yeah. Yeah. It's really incredible what they were able to do with this game. Uh, It is epic in scope in almost every way. Yeah, totally agree. So I think this is a good place to, uh, to call it for this episode. I appreciate you staying up late to talk Elden Ring. This has been a good time, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again. It's, it has been a good time. Uh, It's almost midnight here, but, it was worth every minute. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And I could probably talk for four more hours about this game, honestly. Yeah. And I definitely could talk for several more hours. So people who are listening, if you have made it this far, thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, you probably like Elden Ring. So be on the lookout for more Elden Ring episodes coming this month. I think they're going to be a good time. So once again, thank you for listening. Please check out List Off Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review for my show. And after you listen to List Off, I know you'll like it so much you'll want to leave a review for them too. We would all appreciate that. Join my Discord server. Come in. Feel free. Talk about Elden Ring and all kinds of other gaming stuff, life stuff, talking about anything you want to. We got a good group of people in there. And once again, thank you so much. Tune in next week for more Elden Ring.